the moment you've all been waiting for. It's time for the Steak for Breakfast podcast. It's Friday, November 12th, 2021, and this is the People's Podcast. This is Steak for Breakfast. Smokey, this is not Nam. This is bowling. There are rules. Today, Junior, America. Steak for breakfast. So stand by. A man walks down the street. He says, "Why am I soft in the middle now?" This episode of the podcast is brought to you, as always, by Man Rubs. We have rubs, barbecue tools, blowtorches, t-shirts, coffee cups, all-around barbecue-related gear for you to make barbecue great again. Use the code SEAK15 for 15% off your order. Also brought to you by Stay Ready Gear there at stayreadygear.com. On Instagram, stayreadygearusa. Holsters, custom Kydex, mag carriers, tourniquet carriers, all that stuff made out of that melted plastic we call Kydex. Use the code STEAK for 5% off your order. Don't get ready. Stay ready. The world's most technologically advanced in-studio recording gear can be found at odyssey.com. When you're gaming, they even have headphones that are preferences for... You could buy PlayStation headphones or Xbox headphones. They're that specialized. They got a little microphone so you can get real personal with people. Yeah, it's pretty great stuff over there at odyssey.com, especially if you're in the... Uh, podcasting business as well the sound quality oh, delish odyssey.com they're on facebook and instagram mike has been servicing southern california for over a decade he is the owner of west coast survival arms he's got a easy to navigate newly redesigned website if you love guns and need ammo i do facebook messenger via the telephone 619-870-6992 all our police fire and emergency first responders aren't mediocre medics, but they love shopping at mediocremedic.com. Whether it's off-duty gear like flip-flops, fanny packs, sweatshirts, and more, or that perfect uh, vinyl sticker or tactical patch for your EMS bag, Mediocre Medic's got everything you need to get you looking unmediocre. They're on Facebook and Instagram. And last but not least, Dumpbox.us, home of the zero fucks duck. Get down there and give Mark Joe Friday uh, your credit card number and he'll give you a couple reasons to waste money. I'm wearing my coronavirus veterans t shirt today. Got a flag somewhere in here. It's behind you. Stickers on my coffee cup and Noah's laptop. And Mark's got everything. Tactical flair done right. They're on Facebook, they're on Instagram. Friends, don't forget to follow us on Instagram. Speaking of which, at Steak for Podcast Breakfast. There you'll find a link tree that'll take you to all our social medias, our website, our Telegram, and more. And on that note, welcome. Friday edition. Steak for Breakfast Podcast. Episode 81. I'm Roan. Noah's here. What's up? Antoinette's going to be along in just a bit. We've got Robbie Starbuck coming up later. But joining us first today to do some of the news, uh, you may have seen her in some. Uh, what do you what do you call them? Publications, periodicals. Yeah, like Maxim <laughs> and Playboy. Oh yeah. 
Uh, the lovely lit Miss Elizabeth Jade, welcome to Steak for Breakfast. Hi. Oh, hey. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. This is my first podcast. So oh. this is so exciting. Thank you so much. We need, we need like a little number board we can mark hash marks. Yeah, first timers. I know. I know. This is very exciting. <laughs> and consequently, like our other co-host, Antoinette, who also is a star, on this podcast, it seems like you guys wear more clothes than you I've ever seen you guys wear before in your life. Because Antoinette was a mermaid in the movies, and she's done a lot of modeling, and you obviously have done yeah. a lot of modeling. And how are yeah. you doing? What's going on in your neck of the woods? Where are you at? What part of the country? I'm in Denver, Colorado, okay. like south of Denver, Colorado. So it's a little chilly today. That's why I'm wearing a sweater. Yeah, <laughs> a turtleneck. A turtleneck, yeah. Very nice. It's very classy. I mean, really nothing. I mean, I, I've been living in Denver for a while, so I really like it, but you know, I like it every time I've been there. You do? Yeah. Yeah. You know how it is here. Yeah. And then we see that you, uh, you know, following you on social media, we see you are quite a fan of the uh, equestrian sports. Yes, I am. So I've been doing the horse riding, uh, you know, hunter jumper dressage um, for like 10 plus years. So I have a horse out here and that I bought that's two years old and she's, she's really cool. So I ride all kinds of horses. And so that's kind of what I do out here, really. And then I kind of in the meantime, do, you know, the do the uh, I guess you call it shit posting oh, and the meme stuff and all that. So just kind of getting getting everything out to everybody else, all the truth and all that. So it ain't much, but it's honest. Yeah, it's, it's kind of it's, it's kind of funny. Yeah. I never thought I'd be a political person, and that that leads me I into am my, now. <laughs> yeah, that leads me into my next question, and is one yeah. we like to ask everybody about their own personal journey. So you are a sure. model. Um, you you are into like you know those those really uh fancy sports like with the horses and stuff like that it doesn't seem like just if i went to your instagram and i didn't click on your stories right and i just uh-huh. looked at your profile i would think something totally different other than i think i've been talking to you for a little bit over a year now we've gotten to know each other yeah yeah what, what was it that that really opened up your eyes to what's going on and, and changed you know the way you started thinking about how the world really works you know my my parents my parents woke me up. My parents had a talking with me about, well, I think it was a 2020. I didn't like Donald Trump. And because okay. of the stuff that he said, I wasn't political. And my parents were like, look, here's the thing. He's this, he's great. This is why you should like him. And they talked to me for an hour. And then I started to go from there and I started kind of digging more. And then I think that was around the time COVID happened. Mm-hmm. And then like, I think it was COVID and the Epstein thing happened. Yeah. As you know, and then wait, what happened to Epstein? Oh, just kidding. Well, he didn't kill himself, that's for sure. (laughs) Yeah, well, Epstein happened, and then I just started going, and then I started following these different podcasts, and I started getting into the conspiracy stuff. And I just basically like fell down the rabbit hole very quickly in like a year. Well, it's good, you know, people that can get past the orange man bad. Trump, right. der- Trump derangement syndrome. Yeah. yeah. It's it's always well, good when they start thinking for themselves instead of just going with the, the crowd. Right. Well, I just remember like everyone was like talking about, oh, you know, Trump said, you know, grab him by the pussy, you know. And so I was like, oh, you know, that's so terrible. But I didn't realize like all like, I mean, that's bad. I mean, whatever you can think, whatever you want about that. But honestly, like all the other people, uh, Hillary Clinton, Bill Clinton, all those people are way worse. And Obama, 
so much worse, you know, and like, I didn't know that before. I didn't know how bad these people were. Well, and I'm sure you've so, probably been around. I'm a new person to this political thing, but yeah. I've learned a lot. So, and, and that's the thing I wanted to ask you too. You know, everybody's yeah. got their own testimony. Antoinette's told us a little bit, you know, she's opened up on the show a little bit about stuff that's gone. Now you've been in the business. Right. You've been on the high yeah. ends of the business. I mean, there's not much more yeah. higher ends than yeah. like, for instance, Maximum Playboy and some of the Playboy. modeling things. Right. Uh-huh. The dirty people in Hollywood. That's what I'm asking. Like, yeah, what, she's been what, around yeah. those people that he's talking about. Without yeah. ruining any of your future endeavors, did, did you just get the vibe when you were in the business that there was some of this stuff going on? Uh-huh. Yeah. I've, yeah. See, I've, I, I knew that. Well, so I, I initially wanted to move to California before all this. I wanted to move to California. And I was like, I, there's, there was something in me that said, this is not a good place for you. This is not the place you need to be at. Cause it was just like this dark, it just felt really dark and disgusting, mm. but I knew yeah. that I wanted some sort of, like I was in the modeling industry. So obviously I wanted some sort of like yeah. uh, name for yeah. myself, but I was like, I don't think I can live in California. I don't think I can go down that deep into Hollywood. Cause I knew it was gross. And I have met some uh, people um, that are really rich and all that, that, you know, it's really just like, there's a lot of pay for play kind of stuff going on. Right. And, and just, you know, just evil darkness, you know, and drugs, alcohol abuse and all that. So I just knew it wasn't the place for me. And I knew how dark it was. And now I'm just seeing how much darker it has gotten since that, you know. Yeah, so. it's definitely something that, uh, you know, everybody that comes in and out of this show, regardless of when they woke up or how, if they've been in, yeah. in some corner of the industry or the business, they always have some kind of, you know, story to tell. And we like to just take another little piece from each person that comes on and kind of put it together to make that picture. Oh yeah, no, that makes sense. And then you, you know, you kind of, you're not a conspiracy theorist anymore because it's like you have actual evidence to show that. Imagine that. <laughs> yeah, weird. People, that this is really, this is real. This is not some made up thing. Like this is really happening in Hollywood. And there's a lot of demons out there <laughs> that want to, you know, really take your soul. In my opinion, they want to su- suck you dry. <laughs> As the best way I can describe it. Yeah, that makes it, sense. It's, it's soul pretty, sucking. No, it's pretty yeah. funny. You, you know, I don't have the audio for it, but it, it was kind of weird. Yeah. Stephen Colbert last night was scheduled to have Will mm-hmm. Ferrell on. There was like a hard cancellation at the last minute, and Ryan Reynolds came out. And, mm-hmm. you know, they got into talking about some new show that Paul Rudd and um, Will Ferrell are doing together. And oh. when Paul Rudd came up, you know, uh, it wasn't Kimmel, it was Colbert. He pulled up the... Uh, Sexiest man alive, because I guess Paul Rudd this year is the sexiest man alive. Yeah. Oh, good for him. I, I mean, saw he, that. he's handsome I for an like, older what? guy. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, he's like 5'5", five, five, and he weighs 160 pounds. So How old is he? Like? Yeah, he's, he's not sexy. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, I can give you a thousand other men that are sexier than him. Oh, I thank you. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, one, you too. <laughs> it's one of those things where uh, Ryan Reynolds got to monologuing about it, and he's talking about he just doesn't get it, and he's like, you know, it's one of those things they tell you without telling you. And he's like, oh, yeah, you know, it's all the stuff that he does. He, he bathes in like uh, whales, breast milk. And then it's that whole. <laughs> but then he's like, he's, you know, it's that whole contract with the devil. You sell your soul to the devil and, and you, you're granted eternal life. And that's why he's aging backwards. And everybody kind of laughs. But at the same time, like the people that are tuned in to picking up on that stuff, they literally tell you what they're doing without thinking they're telling you what they're right. doing. So they add a little laughter in the background and all is good. Yeah. I mean, that's the <laughs> yeah. thing. 
Paul Rudd literally looks, I mean, he's a little bit grayer, but the same he did in, uh, what's the movie with Alicia Silverstone when she was in school? Uh, Clu- no. Clueless. Yeah. Yeah. And that's back in the 90s. Yeah. So it, it's pretty yeah, crazy. I've seen that side by side picture. It's, pretty, it's like, wow, okay, you're doing pretty good. Yeah. A wrinkle here and there. Yeah. People, people tell me I don't look as old as I am, but I mean, he's like, yeah. Well, we're going to get a little bit more wrinkly because we're going to talk about Veterans Day Ooh. and some things that happened yesterday as we jump into the news now. Um, there was a stark contrast between the messages that were delivered on on Veterans Day. I saw President did, Trump. Did the media come out and say that they need to be thanked to again? We're going to get into that. Oof. Uh, good old CNN. President Trump delivered a 5 a.m. Pacific time message oh. to the troops. Wow. Yeah, from the offices over at, at I believe he's at Mar-a-Lago right now. Well, it's now. before muster, so that's reasonable. Yeah, it, it was brief, but very Trump-like. Let's listen to it and see how he kind of uh, welcomed in the Veterans Day holiday. On this Veterans Day, I'd like to pay tribute to all of those incredible people, and you are indeed incredible people, who serve so well and so strong and so powerfully in the United States Armed Forces We love you, our nation respects you, the world respects you, and we will come back. Our country has gone through a lot. The last period of time has been very, very tough watching what you had to watch, but our country will be back and will be back stronger than ever. Happy Veterans Day. Not bad. Yeah, I like it. Oh, by the way, Noah, thank you for your service. Mm. Let's see how much longer it lasts. (laughs) Facts. Um, and, and then you, you had mentioned now, Elizabeth, you mentioned in the beginning, you weren't a huge fan of Trump, but now I'm going to have to ask do you miss him? Oh my gosh. Every <laughs> day I miss him so like, much. <laughs> how could you not, even if you hate him, you got to miss him. Like you're filling up your gas tank or buying groceries. Son of a mother. He is such a badass. Like, oh my gosh. Like, can you even get cooler than Trump? <laughs> in my opinion, it's pretty hard to. I mean, I'm trying yeah, to think. So cool. He is pretty based. I do miss him. So, no, you he, refer- really loved, he really loved the American people. I know that. So, and we've brought it up, you know, before on the show. It's like his general message has never changed. Nope. And it's like, no. okay, American manufacturing, make America great. Like, strong I, border, strong military. Strong, how do you not like that? Get out of shitty trade deals. Yeah. Yep. Peace in the Middle East, all that stuff. Mm. Don't worry, we're jumping back into the Iran deal. Release the pallets of cash. Yeah. So, Wait. so you re- you reference that CNN uh, blurb from last year on Veterans Day where they did they do said, it again? Please tell me they didn't do it again. Well, no, but it was all over social <laughs> media yesterday. I, I will rehash it though. Uh, this is an, obviously it's in the opinion section, mm. and it says we thank our soldiers for their service because they devote themselves to protecting our freedoms, and we should. But we should also thank the media for the same reason, especially when the stakes have never been higher. How about new? How about correct stakes? <laughs> stakes for breakfast. So, I, I mean, I wish we could say the gaffes ended there. I don't know if you've heard any of... Like, who wrote that opinion piece, though? Like, the fact that they posted it is just disrespectful at at the basis level. I think they did the telephone game. Like, it started with Don Lemon writing the, and then it went to, like, Stelter, and then it went to Acosta. So they were, they were like, mad-libbing their stupid opinions? Yeah. And mm-hmm. then when it got done, they're like, wow, that really escalated quickly. And like, That's good. Let's, who let's went from thanking out. the troops to thanking us? Yeah. So... And Stelter's, well, you know, Tubin's sitting there with no pants on, like, guilty. Not to pat ourselves on the back or the front. <laughs> Only in Zoom meetings. <laughs> well, These people take themselves so seriously, and we're just, like, laughing at them. Literally. <laughs> well, there's a lot of that going around where people take themselves entirely too seriously. Like, if you look on social media, like, some of these people that are just, like, 
I'm changing the world one stupid TikTok video at a time. Well, I think Joe Kent said it best when he was on here. You know, we were talking about how hard it is to like just do this podcast a couple times a week, the amount of work it takes to get in and lack of sleep and this, that, and the other thing. You do most of the work. Yeah, but, but what did he say? He said, you have to look at it this way. More people listen to this show than watch any of the live events for Joe Biden, for Kamala Harris, for Dr. Fauci. The only people that tune in are the people that give the thumbs down and then they get out. That's the only reason I tune in. Yeah. And I hate that. I hate that it counts. I hate that it counts as me tuning in. Yeah. I wish I could just like ninja unlike. Well, maybe there's some sort of weird like. You know what wasn't ninja like? VPN unlike her. Joe Biden's Veterans Day speech. Now, he circled back to comments he made to the Pope. When but do you call them dumb bastards this time? No, but do you remember? It was either before or after he crapped his pants. I can't remember. But when he grabbed the Pope's <laughs> hand and, and he called the Pope a, a great African-American baseball player. I saw that. And I was like, what is that? <gasps> he took it to the next level yesterday. Wait, go back to that because mm-hmm. yeah. I saw it and I thought somebody was like adding audio to something else. That's real. So he gave him something. But the context of the way it came out of his mouth, he basically called him the person of the item he was giving him. I don't know if it was a coin or yeah. a baseball card or something. But a it, it pair sta- of used white undies? It started with that. And yesterday, instead of honoring the troops, he said the N-word a couple times. Mm. That's so, always a solid move, though. I mean, you know, when you're... Uh, <laughs> calling people Negroes? You I cannot mean, stop using that word. Well, let's hear him use it right now. Time. I want to welcome... <laughs> All the cabinet members and honored guests join us today, including the father of our Secretary of State, who served in the Army Air Corps during World War II, Ambassador Donald Blinken, whose birthday is today. Happy birthday. Happy birthday, Negro. Close, no? Thank you for your service to our country. And I just want to tell you, I know you're a little younger than I am, but, uh, you know, I've adopted the attitude of the great Negro at the time, pitcher in the Negro Leagues, went on to become a great pitcher in the pros into the Major League Baseball after Jackie Robinson. Does he got one more His name was Satchel Paige. And Satchel Paige, on his 47th birthday, pitched a win against Chicago. <laughs> and all the press went in and said, Satch, it's amazing. 47 years old. No one's ever, ever pitched a win at age 47. How do you feel about being 47? He said, boys, that's not how I look at it. I said, how do you look at it, Satch? I said, I look at it this way. How old would you be if you didn't know how old you were? I'm 50 years old. And the ambassador's 47. But all kidding aside, Mr. Ambassador, thank you for your service during World War II as well. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, that's, I, you know, I, that's kind of nothing. It was called the Negro League. I mean. <laughs> I just can't get over, like, how he sounds like, he just sounds drunk. He's definitely, like, he definitely likes to use it, but I'm not really thinking that that was that big of a deal. Insert Donald Trump into that exact same. Oh, moment. no, I'm saying if it was Trump, it, it oh, would yeah. matter if he if he sneezed and it sounded like he said Negro, he'd be like uh, Did you say impeached. Said, yeah. Oh, yeah, it would be an impeachment volume. Three. No, that, I mean, that, I get it, but yeah. that wasn't like. 
He said it twice. I know, but he's referencing the actual name of the league. He ca- okay, he said the league, but he also called them the Great Negro. Yeah, that's a little weird. Okay. I just wanted to make sure we were kind of on the same page. <laughs> wow. Yeah, but it wasn't like he did like the Samuel L. Jackson, like... Oh, no. <laughs> Are you talking about s- motherfucking snakes on this motherfucking plane? <laughs> <laughs> oh man no it is it, pretty bad yeah. sick of these motherfucking snakes and our motherfucking government yeah it, it was just embarrassing uh, yes <laughs> i mean elizabeth what do you think you you hear that it's the leader of the free world mr 80 million votes himself 37 percent no, popularity I, right now no no 37 I, being the high estimate i mean why does he need to use that word just why does he need to add in negro like why does he need to say that word you know it's just weird. You know, you can just tell, like, he definitely has a little bit of a racist. Well, that's you know, a given. That's 100%. I guess, yeah. <laughs> with the speeches and like, he doesn't really care. And But also I want to point out, like, he, I can't even understand what he's saying half the time. Right. He sounds like can he. Nancy Pelosi. He's like drunk. <laughs> he just sounds like he cannot pronounce anything. He's just a terrible speaker. Yes, he certainly is. Which, which the leader of the free world of the United States of America should be fabulous at speaking to a crowd, and he's just not, you know. So that's uh, what I think. I completely agree. <laughs> well, eighty-one million votes is hilarious. That no is way. hilarious. That's the biggest. That's the biggest joke. I don't of believe that. The last ten years. Mm-hmm. Well, the thing is. There wasn't much else from Veterans Day. I mean, it was a slow weekend going into a holiday anyways. Um, you know, there was a couple of people who went out and kind of pontificated about it, but nothing more really newsworthy. Mm-hmm. Something that is newsworthy that we're going to touch on for the first time, besides comments that we've yeah. made on the show and cover a little bit more extensively. Uh, the Kyle Rittenhouse trial is wrapping up. It's done. Yeah, I'm saying it's done. They've closed. Mm-hmm. and uh, I mean, minus some like jury tampering and intimidation. That's it's pretty much done. And some really, really, really bad form by the prosecution. Yeah, trash. So I, oh my gosh, so embarrassing. It it, it was the prosecutor looks like uh, that character from Game of Thrones, a little finger guy. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> like a little weasel. I saw that meme. Yeah. That was hilarious. Oh, somebody beat me to it. I was Damn. like, that's perfect. Yeah. That's perfect. Yes. Yes. Perfect so, meme. Like Whoever made that? Did y'all make that? No, that one else. wasn't us. I thought about it. I didn't have time. Oh. Somebody beat me to it. There's been, there's been some <laughs> Sons of bitches. Ones, it's still yeah. a brilliant thing. Really good, yeah. Well, let's paint a picture of the week that was. Uh, I think we could frame it best starting off with the little Tucky. Uh, he gave some commentary on how absolutely big of a disaster it's been and how, you know, this trial is really not really a trial for the charges that are put on this kid which are pretty much crap anyways. This is a trial of the system. Noah and I were talking about it off the air before the show started that, you know, we really can't have a justice system if just because people intimidate a jury or public opinion, which I don't even think really is, is to get this kid. Um, you know, it, well, we said if, if this, if he is found guilty, I mean, we've seen some just got off absolutely just, abhorrent uses of our justice system but this is like i mean this is the end of being able to defend yourself in general because it sets a horrible precedent legally for everything like law enforcement people just on their own like Mm -hmm. everything like it's just fucked 
And it definitely gives the uh, Black Lives Matter and Antifa some ammo moving forward that they will know they've already, you know, pretty much got a free pass to do whatever they want. Think about how they many people. They already do. They already uh, know that. How many people died during the summer of love? So much love. Mm. So lovey. All right, let's get some Tucky to get this, this section started right now. An honest man assesses what he has seen. J.D. Vance, he's running for Senate in Ohio. He joins us now. J.D. Vance, thanks so much for coming on. So you've, you've watched this whole thing uh, in a nearby Midwestern state. What's your assessment of it? Well, look, Tucker, I think that it's not a trial. It is child abuse masquerading as justice in this country. Mm. This entire trial, this entire farce is an indictment on every institution in our society. It's an indictment of the adults that didn't protect Kenosha, which made Kyle Rittenhouse get out there and protect his community. That's a good it's point. It's an indictment of our disgusting president who called him a white supremacist, even though he shot other white people. It's an <laughs> indictment of our media, which slandered and bullied a 17-year-old boy. I haven't seen anything that disgusts me with the leaders of this country like this ridiculous farce of a trial. I mean, it, it's scary, actually, because a year, more than a year ago, in August of 2020, the tape was available, publicly available. We put it on our air. And it was really clear that this guy thought he was going to be killed, and he had very good reason to think that. So you had to really ignore the videotape evidence to make the case that he was the aggressor, but they did it anyway. What does that tell you? Well, I think it suggests that justice in this country is no longer about equal justice under law. It's all right. political. I mean, think about this. Think about four years ago, them attacking Donald Trump for the fake Russia collusion hoax yep. at the federal level, the FBI investigating the president of the United States for something that was totally fake and was obvious at the time. And now at the state level, we have a state prosecutor who knew that this kid acted in self-defense and he's trying to destroy his life anyway. The message to every normal American in this country, certainly the message that I take from it is that if you have the wrong politics, if you have unacceptable politics, according to our elites, the justice system will come after you and it will come after you hard. That's not the American Constitution. That's not the American way of life. That's a bunch of power hungry leftists who have decided they're going to use our criminal justice system as a weapon against the people. I think that's exactly right. And if you were to pick the weakest in our society, the least privileged, I think you might pick Kyle Rittenhouse. J.D. Vance, I, I appreciate your coming on tonight. Good to see you. Thank well, not wrong. Elizabeth, what do you think about that? You know, it, it really is the justice system starting from the top down with, uh, you know, he, he talked about law enforcement not either doing their jobs or being able to do their jobs because of the defund the police movement and stuff like that, you know, all the way up through how this kid's been put on trial when the video has been out there for over a year that clearly shows an angry mob of people at the very least fired guns, period, whether or not it was in, in his direction is, is up for debate. <laughs> kicked him in the face, hit him with a skateboard, and then pointed a firearm at him. I've been hit with a skateboard. It's not right. a good time. Yeah, It's like the hypocrisy is so insane. You know, like, these people are going around burning shit and being crazy and citing violence, and then the one guy that wants to protect his city, where I think his he said his dad was living in, mm -hmm. uh, Kenosha. Yeah, right? his, his dad does um, live in he Wisconsin. He wants to go protect his city. And he he's the one that gets in. Well, you know, he ended up having to uh, defend himself with this firearm. Um, and, it, you know, it's it's a it's um, totally justified. But they just want to put him on trial. It's like a show trial. Yep. You know, um, he's being made an example of in a way. Just 
just to humiliate him and put him through something terrible and he's a young kid and it's just sad and like all the people that were there that were actually like inciting the violence like nobody touches them nobody nobody has anything to say about those people and they're asking Kyle like why were you there and it's like well why were all these thousands other hundreds of people there you know why, why were they burning and looting and being crazy what about those people yeah I mean that's why he was there just one guy you know it's just one kid so yeah yeah, it it really pisses me off to see. Yeah, it definitely does. And, so. and, and to see all the things, you know, I, I think people forget the Nicholas Sandman settlement that he had with the news yeah. organizations, which was for a lot of money. Um, and that was off of some mm-hmm. allegations of, they called him a white supremacist. Joe Biden, before he was mm-hmm. officially had his hat in the ring for the president, went out and said that this kid was a white supremacist or acted on behalf of white supremacy. Can you sue the president over... Defamation? Yes, you certainly can. In addition, Ooh, it's going to be good. I wish we could. Yeah, the, I would. I would totally do that. The, well, the CBS like class the C- action thing going. Yeah, yeah. well, I the, would sue the CBS Morning the Show. <laughs> yeah, no, you're right. The CBS Morning Show two yeah. days ago put out a tweet on their official Twitter account that said this kid was essentially a murderer. They used the word he that he murdered two people. <laughs> Using that word and attaching it to somebody legally when there's like a still ongoing active court case. Yeah, that's in in total right disregard for law. To be able to use that term would mean he would have to be convicted of it. So, you know, it's it's right. it would be attempted murder until the conviction goes down. And you've had so many other people come out and just, right. you know, got Jeffrey Tubin, I'm getting to the point from CNN, most notably <clears throat> known for his uh, pandemic heroics. Uh, They took a break. They took a fiver when they were on a CNN board meeting um, doing show production. And uh, he left the room dressed and returned naked and went on to masturbate in front of his coworkers. So heroic. Yeah. He was fired and then rehired. Uh, So slap on the the wrist, in addition to probably all the people that are scarred from it. He took to the airwaves yesterday to call this now 18-year-old kid, 17 when he was accused of these crimes that he's on trial for right now, an idiot. Let's see, let's hear how uh, Spanky kind of framed it up. Two thoughts. One, what kind of idiot 17-year-old gets a giant gun and goes to a riot? He not, has no not license. That big. He has no training. He thinks he's going to scrub graffiti off with his AR-15. I mean, the stupidity. I mean, you put a rag thing. in the butt like it would work. What could possibly go wrong? Well, a lot went wrong. The good news for Kyle Rittenhouse is that he's not on trial for being an idiot. He's on trial for homicide. Right. And in that respect, right. I mostly agree with Joey that this is a tough case for the prosecution because it does seem like they don't have a case. It, he has a plausible case mm. uh, of self-defense. And, you know, if, if it were illegal to be an idiot, the jails would be even freer, f- even more crowded than they are now. Mm. Homicide's a different matter. And, you know, he may have a defense. Mm. <laughs> right. Sorry, that was hilarious. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean, uh, Air 15 not that big. I feel like hey. that's just a laugh. Like that's just hilarious. Neither neither was the caliber. That, I mean, two two three is not really when you consider going. No, oh, five five six two two three is almost the same caliber. Yeah, and they're not really. That's not really that big of a shell. It's more of a tumbler. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, the kind <laughs> that would yeah, might take your eye out, your bicep off. Who <laughs> knows? Yeah, your bicep. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it did a number on that bicep. Let me tell you. Well, that was good. Dang. 
Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a round that causes damage because it hits you and penetrates and actually kind of tumbles while inside right. you. So yeah, it's not one of the ones that'll wow. put like a Terminator Two style. Holes. Yeah, it's not the hollow point that explodes. Like I think the prosecution was saying, right? Aren't they saying something about exploding hollow points? Or am I getting? No, he he did talk about exploding hollow points and. The judge had to stop him and say, I need to make sure that you're referencing exploding bullets because they do, in fact, exist. It was pretty funny. And, and it's pretty good that you mentioned that because I think... I'm surprised they didn't bring incendiary rounds in. Out of everything from this trial, it's not even worth playing Kyle Rittenhouse's testimony because we, we've all seen it in video form. I think the best part about this whole thing, besides the prosecution being absolutely ill-equipped and inept to work this case, <laughs> is the basedness of Judge... Bruce Schroeder. Mm. He he gets he gets a little First, flustered every once in a while, but like he's pretty legit. Virtually unknown before this case. Now a living legend. I'm nominating him for SCOTUS. Yeah. Uh oh, yeah. He, he's had a couple epic meltdowns. Did, did you catch when his phone rang and it was like Oh, we're we're gonna get to that. <laughs> Don't spoil it. And we're gonna talk about where, where their lunch is coming from. But let's hear him <laughs> absolutely destroy these prosecutors a couple times in court over the last few days. There have been numerous occasions during this trial where they've opened the door. The one time when they're going into Mr. Rosenbaum's prior reason he doesn't like guns and I said something, I whispered in Mr. Krause's ear, it's because of the prior convictions. Please stop. And he did. He knows if you're going to go into something that's been excluded in a pretrial order, you better ask the court, you better get permission. This is ridiculous. It, was, it wasn't excluded, Your Honor. You know why it was excluded in the first place? Because it's, it was propensity evidence. That is exactly what 90404 is designed to prevent. Mm-hmm. You're talking about his attitudes. His attitude is he wants to shoot people. Now. I've admitted that kind of evidence in other trials when it's been appropriate. I didn't admit it in this case because, to me, what I've heard in this trial, and by the way, Mr. Richards absolutely correctly points out that just hours ago, I said I had heard nothing in this trial to change any of my rulings. So why testimony, Your Honor? Pardon me. That was before the defense testimony. Don't get brazen with me. Mm. Uh, uh, You knew very well. You know very well that an attorney can't go into these types of areas when the judge has already ruled without asking outside the presence of the jury to do so. So don't give me that. That's number one. Number two, this is propensity evidence. I said at the time that I made my ruling, and I'll repeat again now for you, I see no similarity between talking about wishing you had your AR gun, which you don't have, so that you could take fire rounds at these uh, thought-to-be shoplifters. And the incidents in these cases, which are not, there's nothing in your case that suggests the defendant was lying in wait to shoot at somebody or reflecting upon the shooting for a vast amount of time. Oh, that's a pretty good point right there. Yeah. Now, in in the beginning of that uh, segment, you heard Kyle Rittenhouse's lawyer really going off because the fact of the matter is, you, you try to protect certain aspects of the people, whether it be witnesses or the defendant, you know, people that are involved in this case. And they were skirting around the issue of not being allowed to own guns 
The only reason that the guy who wound up getting his bicep blown off... Because he's not supposed to have a gun and he had a gun and he pointed it at the guy with the bigger gun? Why was he not supposed to have a gun? He was a felon. A what? A convicted felon. Well, that's wasn't he that's how you be, that's actually how you become a felon. You get convicted. No, the guy who got the guy who actually got oh. his chest blown away, oh, he was the convicted okay. pedophile. Yeah, five okay. times. I think it was eight accusations, five convictions on. That's crazy. Yeah, things that I won't even say in the air that he did with kids. Yeah. You can go do your own research, like we tell you to do at the end of every show. It's pretty. Is that Rosenbaum? Rosenbaum. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So, and then yeah. then the, you had the guy who testified under oath that he pointed the gun at point blank range at Kyle Rittenhouse, give that testimony, completely destroy the prosecution's whole plan. Every single question that they tried to ask to kind of frame it as, you know, Oh, it's hard to point a gun from that angle. Everything was just absolutely Mm -hmm. destroyed. That very Mm -hmm. day he goes on MSNBC, CBS, NBC, MSNBC, and then tells the exact opposite of what he gave in court testimony on that day. And that's what the news reports. Of course. Mm -hmm. Wow. And people who don't go out and quote unquote, do your own research or just look up things on like, why would you, why would you watch the trial? If, if CNN's going to play the highlights that are tailored to their narrative. Right. Oh, Oh wait, hold on. That's dangerous. Well, Antoinette, you've you've been tracking this a lot. Oh, hi, Antoinette. Welcome yeah. back. Behind the hi, scenes. Hi, Antoinette. Hi, sorry I'm late. Uh, toddler mom over here. A little bit of a crazy morning. No, it's all good. <laughs> what What do you think about some of this stuff that you saw go down in court this week? I know when, when we've talked a couple of times, you said you were going back and, and going over aspects of the trial and wa- kind of watching it and catch up. Well, I, I saw bits and pieces of it. Um, one, wow, I can't, that prosecutor, mm-hmm. unreal. Like it, not like the line of questioning for hours going around in circles, just trying so hard to get Kyle to trip up. Poor kid, man. He really, he stood his ground. Like, I, yeah, you know what? Listen, Uh, he's, he's in, when you stand in truth and you've done nothing wrong, I mean, it's difficult regardless. It's, I mean, he's not acting. He's, he's saying the truth and he's, you know, I don't know, man. I felt so bad when I saw him cry, and then all these people started making oh. fun of him. LeBron tweeting about it. The, yeah. the kid was reliving that trauma right there on the stand. He was having a massive panic attack. Yep. Yeah, he wasn't talking guy. about losing his car keys. He was talking about having to kill two people. Yeah, and you could see it pained him, like, in his heart. Like, he was not, he was there to help people to do good, like, good for both sides, you know, to be a mediator and, and you know, a medic and to stop people from burning shit down. And this guy's falling, this kid's falling apart. He's a kid, man. You know, he, he really is a kid. He's been in jail. The entire country, well, half of the entire country is shitting on his life. And then now, I mean, he has to relive all this in court in front of, you know, millions of people. I mean, imagine like in his position, like at the time, like you get in the zone when it's like life or death. Imagine how, what, like what happens after when it hits you, what, what actually you've done and what could have happened, how he could have died and just, Mm -hmm. and then now he's reliving it in court and, and people on the outside are, are like LeBron, Mm -hmm. you know, say nasty shit. CBS news. um, LeBron would. Yeah. And LeBron's a piece of shit. I've met him. I've met him a few times. He is one of the biggest scumbags on the face of the planet. That's cool. You met him though. That's, that's, that's wow. 
Yeah, I used to be friends with a lot of ball players um when I yeah. lived in Detroit when I lived in Detroit and he came in to play the Detroit Pistons and um we were backstage in the lock well back in the locker rooms and there was uh we set up like a lot of there was like a uh, I think it was like an organization with disabled kids waiting for LeBron to sign their balls and all the all the players do it. Yeah. He walked past them and lifted his hand through his hand in the air and said, "No." Wow. To the kids and made them all cry. It was bad. Oh, that's but perfect. That, oh my gosh, that's yeah, sad. He, yeah, he's a bad. You guy. Treat people like that. Well, yeah, I mean, he supports the Chinese yeah. child labor death camps. Yeah. So I mean, seeing actual yeah, handicapped kids, care. yeah, that aren't digging out. He's uh, completely gone. Right, His soul is gone. Lithium and diamonds <laughs> yeah. probably doesn't affect him at all. The soul. Well, I called him a piece of shit there, and then in there in front of everybody, and he tried to have me kicked that's out fun. of the Palace of Auburn Hills. And nice. uh, yeah, and then all the all the, the coaches and the people that I know and the players are like, "Fuck off!" Like, yeah, she's not she's not getting canceled. She's <laughs> oh my god, crazy, that's hilarious! But, I love that. That that's so yeah. cool. Well, back back to Kyle. I mean, it's an open and shut case in my opinion. He's gonna walk, you know, and they're they're reaching. This prosecutor is doing everything in his power to like try to trip him up or find something. Obviously, there is nothing. Um, I mean, the only thing is what, because he had that, he had the gun that, and it wasn't his. Yeah, my my feeling like, is, but, I think there's four or five murder-related charges. I believe that those are all going to be dropped. And in regards to the, I, I believe so it's unlawful possession of a firearm under, uh, you know, lawful age, which which is like, it's very vague. And well, they were also trying yeah. to get him for transporting a weapon across state lines, but since it wasn't his weapon, he yeah. didn't cross state lines with it. He borrowed it from somebody locally. And his father lives exactly. in Kenosha. Yeah. Um, I, I think right. he's going to get time served since he's already done. Yeah, but I, I mean, I think that I think he will be acquitted. Uh, like on every, obviously the murder charges, but I really, honestly, I think he might get acquitted on everything. It, it would be it would be good to see, and, and like you'd mentioned, uh, you know, he he had been so strong, but there there was some times when when Judge Schroeder had to jump in there and kind of cut the the prosecution off because they were just so far off the beaten path or having anything to do with mm-hmm. relevancy in this uh, trial that, you know, we'll, we'll hear him right now kind of jump in and, and then jump down the prosecution's throat. My understanding of you your- should have come and asked for uh, for reconsideration. You did on the one motion. And in fact, I granted your motion for reconsideration. That was not a motion. I, I, I uh, not, not, uh, excuse me. I, uh, I did. I granted. We did not move that to reconsider. That was their motion. I, I, we have not filed any me. motions to reconsider in this case. That was their motion for reconsideration, which I denied. But uh, I said I denied it, or I indicated a bias towards denial is what I did. Mm-hmm. Held it open with a bias towards denial. Why would you think that that made it okay for you without any advance notice to bring this matter before the jury? You are already, you were, I, I was a, astonished when you began your examination by commenting on the defendant's post-arrest silence. That's basic law. It's been basic law in this country for 40 years, 50 years. I have no idea why you would do something like that. And it gives, um, uh, well, I'll, I'll leave it at that. So I don't know what you're up to. May I respond? Yes. We filed another acts motion on this exact this issue. such a bitch. Because in my mind, and I argued this, it is identical to what was going on on the night of August 25th in the sense that the defendant was using this exact same weapon. He was using it in a manner to try and protect property. No, he wasn't. There's, 
Your Honor, I, with all due respect... I'm not going to rehash the motion. That's absolutely untrue. It and is there's... No, no, no. Your arguments of record, my comments are of record, and why I ruled as I did is of record. There's nothing that I heard in this trial to suggest anything's changed, even if you're correct in your assumption that you know more than uh, I did at the time. Uh, <laughs> you should have come to the court and say, I want to go into this. Uh, why you would think that you could go into it without any advance notice to the court, I don't understand that. And as the uh, defense is pointing out, you're an experienced trial lawyer, and this should not have been gone into. So, I mean, there was that. Kind of just made him look absolutely awful when, when he kind of tried to flip the script on some of the, I mean, he I mean, that's the moment where I was talking about where the judge got a little sideways on yeah, because who he was talking about. But yeah, I mean, it's like he was so like he's fired up. I don't blame him. A 17 year old <laughs> kid doesn't have to go out and make public comments about what he's being charged with before a trial starts. And, and then when the guy that's started, actually a bad idea. Yeah, the, I mean, legally. Yeah. And, and when the guy started to yeah. badger well, him on that, he just jumped down his throat. Well, I mean, how do you look at this any other way? Like, OK, so let's say Kyle left his weapon on safe. Uh-huh. He rolled up in a ball and let his weapon go. Okay. What what's going to happen to him? I mean, providing these idiots know how to use the weapon, which maybe they don't, maybe they do. The felon probably does. Mm. Like the two plus two is always four. If they take this weapon away from you, what are they going to do with it? Kill you with it? I mean, well, obviously, they were yelling I mean, about killing like him anyway. Natural instinct to think. Right. Well, I mean, and like that's if you're the fighting, thing. if somebody's fighting you and they're trying to, they're trying to grab your gun and they told you that they were going to kill you if they catch you before, you know, they, I'll kill you if I catch you alone. I mean, obviously, it's common sense. If this guy's trying to grab your gun. He, if most anybody is going to use it on you in right. in any capacity, who's carrying a weapon, who's had any training, if someone tries to take your weapon away from you, you are at a deadly force level. Mm-hmm. Like that's 100%. just basic. Yeah. That's just basic knowledge, yeah. Even if it's not trying mm-hmm. to take the gun away from you, if, if someone's trying to... Hit you with a skateboard? I yeah. mean, yeah, that's deadly in the force. Head. Head, kick uh, you in the face? Mm-hmm. Kick you in the face, yeah. yeah. And especially... Skateboards are fa- deadly weapons, for sure. They're oh, thick, yeah. that you know? sucks. I got hit Remember with one of those. the guy that got his bicep blown off? They, yeah. they, the media tried to lie the entire time until they couldn't anymore, yeah. thanks to citizen journalists, that, that he didn't have a gun. It was a phone in his hand, and then clearly they couldn't avoid oh, it. Oh, the old phone in the hand. It was so great during the trial. When, <laughs> yeah. when, it's a shame that it wasn't a phone, huh? When when the the defense lawyer was asking him if that was him, and he like looks at the screen, and he's like, yeah, yeah, yes, that's me getting my bicep vaporized. <laughs> he said that? Yeah. Vaporized? <laughs> vaporized. <laughs> <laughs> Got him. Damn. Well, th- there was a couple of lighthearted I moments try- from uh, Judge Schroeder. I think Schroeder. they're trying to use this opportunity to. Sorry. Go ahead. I didn't mean to cut you off. I think they're really they're using this opportunity, obviously, to also um, rag on AR-15s and you know. Oh yeah, oh, I wouldn't. Yeah, yeah, it's it's sure. just so obvious. This is a gun driver's wet dream. Some sort of win here, yeah. even though they know they're losing with the case. They're trying, you know, never leave like a, a crisis, you know, without trying to use it for everything that you can. Right. Yeah. Never let a crisis go to waste. Exactly. That that was it. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I agree. I agree. Yeah. Well, I Absolutely. Guess we'll we'll probably get to the end of this trial sometime mid next week. Um, I think they said you know they'll be wrapped up with it by Monday and send it off to the jury. Um, departing this topic, there. The well, couple- before we depart this topic, regardless of what happens. Mm-hmm. Bad things are in, in the works. Yeah. 
Either way. Oh yeah. Either oh, way, yeah. if if he is if he right is now. if he is justifiably released of his liability or whatever you want to call it, because the evidence says that it was self defense, which it was, mm-hmm. things are going to burn down. Mm-hmm. And if he's if he's mm-hmm. prosecuted, if he's found guilty, this is a huge blow to our legal system and a precedent yeah. that is unrecoverable. Yeah. yeah. But you know what's I have a good feeling he'll be I'll, I have a good feeling that they will um it will work in his favor and I mean because they're also preparing us ahead of time they're already like making calls for riots cuz they know themselves too yeah. you know their their arm of Antifa and BLM and whatnot mm-hmm. they're already preparing for these riots cuz they know what's coming Yeah I ha- agree with that. Pray pray for St. Kyle guys Well if he was on <laughs> yeah. if he was on the other team mm-hmm. and he would have gotten arrested for you know discharging a weapon there have been people trying to bail him out, right? That's like. Well, yeah. I mean, they released this other dude, the uh, Rosamond. Yeah. From a mental hospital, from a mental hospital, and he's a pedophile. They they they're doing this on purpose because they want chaos. It's disgusting, mm-hmm. of course. So, I mean, we'll see. I think truth will prevail, and Kyle will get off, and we should all yeah. hope for the best. Yeah. Embrace embrace for the worst. <laughs> Well, yeah. Well, you know they're gonna do. They're gonna ride either way. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Either way. So. So it's gonna be gonna ce- celebratory pull, looting. Or, meth and tell him to go go to the. Yeah. Yeah. Celebratory the looting. is gonna be right there. All right, let's go, guys. <laughs> there's a lot. There's a lot of people cutting uh, five gallon or fifty gallon drums into sh- shields right now. I bet. <laughs> well, they always have their umbrellas yeah. too. Oh, the umbrellas. Yes. Very Mary Poppins. Well, let's just not forget about. As as we like, I said, step away from this topic. How based Judge Schroeder was, a virtual mm-hmm. unknown. Now national headlines. Um, his phone went off during. <laughs> this is my favorite, <laughs> and and, and it, it's the Lee Lee Greenwood. Yeah, the song that Donald Trump comes out to. Oh my gosh! You ready? Yeah. It's so perfect. <laughs> and if the court makes a finding that uh, the actions that I had talked about. We're done in bad faith. <laughs> then I think the defense lawyer and Kyle Rittenhouse both started laughing. You can't make this shit up. I almost <laughs> feel like it's on purpose. I swear to you. I almost feel like right? this judge is like using this opportunity. To yeah, like he's that. like, all right, tell you what, wait till you, it gets yeah. good and then give me a yeah. call. I'm going to leave my phone on yeah. ring. And he, he didn't <laughs> he didn't talk shit about Joe Biden or the Brandon administration. However, did make references to the uh, boats. With all the supplies on it that aren't here yet, uh, when they broke for lunch. Oh, did he? Because I mi- I missed that. I missed that part. Uh, what time do you want to uh, Let's hope for one o'clock. I don't know. The uh, hope the Asian food isn't coming. It's on. Isn't on one of those boats in Long uh, Long Beach Harbor. Oh, um, oh my uh, God! <laughs> and I don't know if you guys oh, saw. Guys. <laughs> I don't know if you guys saw, there was at one point of the trial where he actually got um, one of those books. He picked up a magazine and opened it up, and it was like gourmet cookies. And it was like a three-fold cover, and he like opened it up, and it was like all these different cookies you could like order online. And, and oh, I, my God. He's such a character. Yeah, I, I had somebody take a, a, a Trump magazine and, and Photoshop it onto the... <laughs> no way. Yeah, onto, this is a, he was reading a cookie book. Oh, my God. That's hilarious. So and, and yeah he, yeah so we can we can't forget how awesome he was and, and and how you know much uh this kind of brought a human face to the trial where th- 
the legacy media has tried for so long to demonize it. So for it was, sure. yeah, it was good to kind of see. I it. honestly think that Kyle, it has like some divine protection here. Cause I mean, look at the kind of judge that he has. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, I was not expecting it at all. Yeah. I thought either. he was going to get just the swampiest of swampy judges. Yeah. Well, there's still hope, you know, still got people, judges out there that aren't operatives sure. of the deep state. <laughs> Definitely. All right. So great. You know, we're going to jump around topics now, and we're going to talk about something that I had for a little bit later in the show, but it's a little bit shorter of a segment. I think we can touch on it before we have Robbie Starbuck coming in now. Josh Hawley has been under fire recently from, you know, a lot of the mainstream media recently because uh, of, of some comments he made at, you know, he, he went to an event, I believe it was two weekends ago, and talked about how it's hard to find real men in this world these days. And talked about things like porn addiction and it's video games. No, it, it's not. He he was on uh, Axios uh, this weekend and, and kind of followed up on those comments because he's he's caught a lot of flack on it, which means he's kind of over the the target. You know, uh, yeah, nothing gets people wound up more than when somebody's right. Uh, and it's especially yeah. about being a manly man because they've tried to basically deball an entire generation, and turn them into soy mm-hmm. boys and betas. So. Let's kind of he- let's hear the senator weigh in on, on, on double down on his. Senator, comments. you gave a pretty hot speech at the National Conservatism Conference in Orlando. You talked about the left's attack on men of America. Yeah. Why masculinity as your new big issue? Well, I think what the left is doing is attacking America. They're mm-hmm. saying that America is systemically oppressive and men are systemically responsible. What's a man to you? Paint a picture. What's a man? Well, a man is a father, a man is a husband, a man is somebody who takes responsibility. As conservatives, we've got to call men back to responsibility. We've got to say that spending your time not working, and we have more and more men who are not working, spending your time on video games, spending your time watching porn online while doing nothing is not good for you, your family, or this country. So a viewer's watching this and they're thinking, really, what the liberals are doing are going to push me to watch Pornhub more or play Donkey Kong? Or do you mean that literally? Donkey Kong? Well, what I mean literally is that I think the liberal attack, the left-wing attack on manhood says to men, you're part of the problem. It says that your, your masculinity is inherently problematic. It's inherently oppressive. What's your basis for linking that to what liberals or the left, as you would say, do? Is that based on data or based on a hunch? Well, it's policy over many years. I mean, if you look at the policy of deindustrialization, those are policy choices Mike pursued over many years. I've looked. Wait, at- wait. How does that connect to porn? Oh well, you've got you've got oh men, sixteen million right? men, Mike, won't get who off are of it. idle, who don't have anything wow. to do. Now, partly that's their own responsibility, well, but also partly because them. jobs have dried up in many cities you across America Pornhub. and rural <laughs> Jeffrey areas. Too. I think you put together <gasps> lack of jobs, you put together fatherlessness, you put together the social messages that we teach our kids in school. I think we've got to confront that and its effects. Now, Elizabeth, you you heard him, uh, Senator Hawley. I like him. I'm, yeah. I'm a pretty big fan. Uh, I think his political capital is rising. I definitely see him as a dark horse candidate, possibly for VP or a candidate or a cabinet position in a future Trump administration. Um, oh, yeah. What, do, what, great. what there do, do you disagree with what, what Josh Hawley said? I don't know if I disagree with anything. I think he's spot on. What do you think? I mean, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I feel like definitely porn has a huge effect on on men wanting to go out and make it have a family because they can just get their rocks off on watching, you know, 
porn online and it it demotivates them in my opinion and it and it and it and it and it um takes away their energy yeah their masculinity that's what i think yeah and so that you want to so, weigh in i don't have anything to disagree with no i think he's right for sure and i'm glad that he brought that up because that's really important and it's not talked about very much so no, it was yeah. actually it was actually pretty refreshing to hear him go and uh, right. kind of touch on that and where he was talking about yeah. it at you know at a, at a conservative event where there's right. you know young men there and, and stuff like that. So, uh, right. yeah, Tucker 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 followed up on this and I think he even had Hall Yan. I I, I want to finish up this part right here and and, and kind of you know, get them uh, in on this segment. This country, but they also, they don't believe in gender. You know, I mean, they're, they're trying to do away with gender uh, and they don't believe in manhood or womanhood. I mean, these are the same people who are trying to do away with women's sports, let's not forget, Tucker. Right. So this is a war on gender all the way around. And I think the idea of having independent men and independent women for that matter, but independent men who would actually go to work and be responsible and contribute to their families and contribute to society, the left finds that scary because those are not the kind of people who will just be told to fall in line by the government and do whatever the government says to do. And the left doesn't want that. They don't believe in manhood at all. They think it's inherently oppressive. So, it, you know, that's that's kind of uh, just a little bit of follow up on that, saying how the media kind of feeds into that whole narrative, anti-narrative of him and, and kind of tries to yeah. feminize everything to do with what's manly these days. And that's that's a fact. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I agree with everything he says. Everything. Yeah. They, they're trying to neuter our, our boys, yeah. you know? Oh, yeah. Basically. How dare you with your toxic masculinity? You know, it's like I've said. I've said it a couple of times. I'm still not over Josh Hawley balking on Stop the Steal on January 6th. Since then, he's done a good job of kind of building himself back up to get where I feel like he needs to be to kind of help this move in the right direction. Building himself yeah. up back better. There you go. Not that crappier. <laughs> now, Elizabeth, we're going to wrap with you. Um, this has been right. awesome. We're definitely yeah. going to invite you back. And uh, Thank you. <laughs> we had a good time with you. You're definitely someone who could, could hang on this show. Your knowledge level was great. And uh, you. I loved you jumping in the commentary with us, of course. Uh, we do want to direct all of our listeners who don't know about you to come and check you out. So social media is that you are comfortable giving out on the show. We will live link them in our show description and you'll have some new followers by the end of the day. There you go. Right. So my Instagram, you can just follow me. It's um, Elizabeth, you know, E-L-I-Z-A-B-E-T-H, Elizabeth underscore uh, J-A-Y-D-E-N-X-O, Jaden X-O, Elizabeth underscore Jaden X-O. Nice. <laughs> it's kind of a long name, but yeah. So you can follow me there. Thank be, you so much for having me. Really appreciate it. Yeah, it's going to you guys. It's going to be one click away. And like I said, we'll be having you back real soon. Uh, Elizabeth Sounds Jade. Great. Yeah. Thanks for joining us okay. on Steak for Breakfast today. Okay. Thank you so much. Bye. All right. Jumping in now on this Friday edition of Steak for Breakfast. He's a director and producer. He's also running for the U.S. Congress in Tennessee Five and has been, to this point, our most elusive guest to get on the show. <laughs> Mr. Robbie Starbuck, thanks for coming on with us today. Absolutely. I'm happy to be here. You know, I, I say elusive, like, not that you were dodging us. It's just if anybody follows you on social media, you never stop. It doesn't matter what time of the day. It doesn't matter when or where. If you're on the road, if you're at home, you're posting, you're influencing. 
you know, you're, you're doing a lot of good stuff to kind of get this country back on the right track. And uh, you are one hardworking individual. I appreciate it. You know what? Uh, to to my detriment, though, um, I as this campaign is growing, it, it gets harder and harder to like delegate everything out that you need to do. So we're growing the team as fast as we can so that we have enough people to like get back to everything. That's a good problem, though. You know, growth growth is one of those things, kind of like a startup campaign. It's like if you run on the right way, right? Um, you've got to sort of grow the team at the same time. So it's, there's a little bit of growing pains, but it all it all works out. Yeah, it certainly does. Now, I'm going to have to ask, based off of your um, prior workings, you know, in the business, uh, all the stuff you've done producing and directing, you have quite an extensive resume. Now, within, you know, about a year, the whole narrative has changed, and here you are um, running to get into Washington, D.C. and help bring this country back to where it needs to be. There had to be something that changed or clicked with you, um, what was the big thing there that, that really had you go all in on this? Well, you know, um, I guess, I, I, I guess it started, it started earlier than a year ago. I would definitely say that because I came out and endorsed Trump in 2015, like mm-hmm. shortly after the escalator ride. Um, and that was sort of the beginning of the end in Hollywood where I was blacklisted for political views. And, um, and I'm okay with that. That was something my wife and I, we knew would happen the minute I came out and supported somebody like Trump. And, um, and by somebody like Trump, I mean just a Republican, somebody right. who's even yeah. like halfway conservative. That's not acceptable in Hollywood. Um, and so, you know, it, it slowly transitioned there where at first I just wanted to be a voice for, you know, I guess a group of people that I felt like for a long time didn't have a voice. And I wanted to be really out and open and unashamed and and sell our policies because I felt like professionally I was seeing our people elected to office Mm -hmm. playing defense all the time. And so I thought, you know, if I could be any part of just getting the message out and awakening people to the fact that the media has been lying to them, the Democratic Party is lying to them, and that there is this beautiful other side that they could be a part of, um, then I would be happy. But then as we got into 2020, um, what really was the impetus for me to make the next jump was seeing the failures of the people in Congress throughout COVID, seeing everything they did throughout COVID, seeing how they refused to stand up for their voters, refused to stand up for the people or for freedom or liberty on any, you know, really any subject. Um, it just seems like there's a weakening old guard. And I felt like if I want to see change, I don't see anybody around me running in this area that is, you know, wanting to do that then I'm going to have to go do it myself. And my wife was, to her credit, like so supportive of it and was, you know, now she's like the, um, you know, I wouldn't even say like head cheerleader. She's the, she's the butt kicker. You know, she gives me the kick that I need every day to be like, you can be your best. You were saying I'm posting all the time, doing stuff all the time. She's the reason why, you know, Mm -hmm. she's, she never lets me slow down for a second, even when, you know, maybe there's a little part of me that wants to slow down. She's like, no, the, People depend on you to be at your best and to never give up and to always do all this stuff. So, um, you know, and it takes that running for an office like this. If you're running for federal office, you have to have a partner who's all in. If you don't, you know, I, I don't know how they do it. For sure. Behind every great man is a great woman. And, you know, that's something I was definitely going to touch on during this interview. If you follow you on social media, uh, whether it be Twitter or Instagram, your campaign website, it's like 
there is no Robbie Starbuck without your wife there with you. Um, obviously, it's been a big change for her, too. Uh, you know, I, I'm sure you guys were probably in together on, on the endorsements and stuff like that, um, you know, with Trump. But I see her at speaking events right there along your side, and you guys play off of each other so well. It makes for a pretty uh, formidable opponent for anyone that's that's going to be, you know, running up against you down there. How beneficial has that been to you and probably as big as a relief to have such a strong partner like that at your side, you know, championing the same things that you're fighting for, for the people in Tennessee. Well, it's, you know, it's, it's a huge help because it essentially gives me a second surrogate that knows exactly what I believe, you know, and you know, a lot of people who run for office are like, I wish there were two of me. Well, I kind of have two of me because she knows everything and, we're on the same page about everything. So it, that in itself is just, is huge, but the support is really what matters the most because this isn't easy. You take a lot of time away from home, a lot of time away from your kids and your family. And you know, you've got to have a partner who's not just supportive, but is like, they're in for this. They're, they're a hundred percent ideologically are at the same place you are. And she is, you know, she, she knows that this may be our last chance to save freedom in America. And if she didn't know that, you know, I don't know that it would be anywhere near as successful as we have been. Yeah. That's definitely something that, uh, I, I think that, uh, you, you lend fact to there is it, it, kind of helps out so much to have someone there who's who's literally by your side, not just a campaign staffer or a top eight or something like that. Like that's literally your partner. And at the end of the day, that's who you go home with. And by me now huh? is she? she's literally by me right now, right now. Yes. Oh, nice. Awesome. We literally, our desks are right next to each other. <laughs> that's great. Well, we're, I'm a huge fan of her as well. So you could tell her that I think she's doing one heck of a job as well. Yep. She can hear you. She's giving you a thumbs up. Perfect. <laughs> She's um, so it's not like your campaign has not gone unnoticed uh, from the Beltway. Major factors and, and players in Washington, D.C. have come to endorse you, notably Senator Rand Paul and then Richard Grinnell, uh, the former National Intelligence Director. That's got to be a massive boost to feel that kind of support from people who were, you know, have been working hard for the people in Washington, D.C. on one end and on the other, working so closely with the Trump campaign uh, up up through 2020. So how has that been, you know, kind of getting those big time endorsements after, you know, getting into the political arena and and having them come and, and support you in your campaign? I mean, it's, it's massive candidates like would kill for this stuff. And it's, um, to be really honest, I think that, um, we're a really unique campaign and getting them on board was not the typical way that candidates do this. Typically candidates lobby like crazy. They pay people to try to get endorsements, um, and all that stuff. I don't do any of that stuff. These are just people who they knew my character. They knew why I was doing this. They knew ideologically that I would stand firm and that they needed people who would have this sort of stance and ability to withstand pressure that I will have in Congress. And so it's huge though. I mean, it, I don't even, I don't know how to put it into words other than it affects almost everything mm-hmm. 
on the top line when you're talking about institutions and and other members and you know people along those lines it matters a lot to have their support and i can actually i'll drop a new one for you guys that nobody knows about yet um congressman norman from south carolina he's just endorsed me today nice Um, congratulations you know so that's that's another good one because he's in house freedom caucus and um you know that sort of thing, all those little things, they matter a lot to the success of a campaign because um, especially when you get into like the dynamics of your state Republican Party and how that all operates, mm-hmm. those things, those endorsements nationally have scared off some people who have thought about running against me Um and that's obviously a good thing for us. That in itself, just being able to scare people out of a primary is positive because it keeps us from spending money that we would rather save for a general election. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, that, and that makes a whole lot of sense. You get those big names in there and, and you know, people who are going to be your potential opponents see that that backing's coming with a big, you know, names like that and uh, probably make them shy away a little bit or just think maybe money spent somewhere else in a different district or a different state. So um, definitely want to jump in on some of the topics with you. Some of the things that I've heard you speak extremely passionate about, um, human trafficking, uh, both, both you and your wife, uh, how, how in Tennessee does that become such a, a, a hot topic issue? Like we know the, the ridiculous problem that we're having at the border, um, all the stuff that's going on there, you know, whether you want to try and, and find it in the regular news or you go out and you try to find out you know, what's really going on down there. We, we've we talked to people like Jorge Ventura from the Daily Caller, who's been on the ground on both sides of the border there. So we know what's going on on this show with that. What brings that as such something you and your wife are so passionate about? Well, you know, my, this again, it kind of goes back to Hollywood because my wife, she saw how exploitation, not necessarily trafficking, but mm. exploitation of women and children was rampant and was something she always felt like she had to speak up against and and fight. And so as you extrapolate that across the U.S., you know, when Trump was in office and um, they were opening the trafficking center through DHS, Mm -hmm. you know, we got involved in, in sort of a bunch of different issues. And as you look across the entire country, there's a whole lot of trafficking organizations that deal with what's happening happening internationally, but they're not dealing with what's happening here. And there's very few voices that are really on top of what's happening here. And you mentioned the border. We just got back from the border a few mm-hmm. weeks ago. Yeah, you did. And at the border, you know, we have the highest number of trafficking cases of children that we have had in modern history that we know of, you know, um, and I highly doubt, you know, previous to us recording in modern history, there was a worse, you know, sort of epidemic of this happening. And the problem is, is when you have an open border, every state in the U.S. is a border state. Those kids that get trafficked there end up trafficked across the entire U.S., Now, in Tennessee, why it's an issue is we have a large interstate and through that interstate, it goes through multiple states and it, um, you know, you see really high numbers of trafficking come through there and we've got to do everything we can to lessen that. Now, federally, I'd like to see more action statewide, you know, on in every state, because I think the state has a lot of responsibility here that states have not risen up to. But federally, there are things we can do when it comes to exploitation and trafficking. Um, You know, there's a million things we can do. You know, one that pops in my head is the fact that possession of um, 
child sexual abuse material, we don't have a federal statute on the books that actually would punish somebody with, let's say, 15 or 25 years in prison mm. for possession. That's not something we have a federal law for right now, and we should. So, um, you know, there's there's things all over the place on on that front where we can we can make a lot of change. You know, even just a national reporting system that works and is functional for people would be a huge, huge deal. Um, you know, we've seen the success of some programs where some agencies have posted photos of potential abuse or you know, homes where they'll show like, this is a picture of a living room that they got from a screen cap from a, a video that shows child sexual abuse. And then in that screen cap, they'll say, can you find any identifying, you know, information? Um, and it may be somebody's been to that house before and they go, I know where that house is. My kid had a play date with their kid mm. and they've seen the success of programs like that. I think nationally we could roll out similar sort of things that would be really successful in, you know, reducing at least the harm that we're seeing happen. And, uh, you know, so something that'll always be close to our heart because we're parents and, yeah. you know, our kids are lucky to have a safe loving home, but not every kid's that lucky. And I feel like we do have a responsibility to stand up for kids and make sure this isn't happening in what should be the greatest country on earth. Uh, you're right. And it's, it's an issue like, like you had mentioned both the state and the federal level that is, it depends on maybe the administration or, or, or which players are in DC, you know, in the house and in the Senate at the time, all the way down to the state levels, how much it's addressed and how hard. And I definitely think like, like you, you know, it's just not addressed as hard as it should be. And then the responsibility needs to be delegated out a little bit more, starting probably from, like you said, the states, which would be compared to the federal grassroots level and then up to the federal with stronger and stiffer penalties, fines, jail time, et cetera, and stuff like that. Exactly. Exactly. Let's talk about the uh, 2020 presidential election. I know you're election integrity guy. Um, whether or not you want to comment on what you thought went down, we can kind of tie COVID into it because I think that definitely has a component uh, in regard to the overall outcome of, of where we're at right now. Um, what do you think moving forward do we need to do to kind of unfortify our elections and actually make them safe and secure and not use things like, for instance, COVID to kind of figure out ways to skirt around unsolicited free-for-all voting coming in from every way, shape, or form possible? Yeah, so I'd say step one is we need to make it a federal crime to engage in coordinated voter fraud, and it needs to be punishable by 15 to 20 years in prison. Um, that's step one, because I like it. The, the psychologically, you know, that people are going to jail for this for a very long time. People who are underlings and let's say in the Democratic Party who are working, you know, polls and are asked to do something that is illegal, they may go hmm, I saw that last guy go to jail for 15 years. I don't think I want to take that chance. I think, you know, you'll still have some people willing, but you'll have a lot more yeah. who second guess themselves after seeing 15 to 20 years in the slammer as a potential yeah. outcome. Um, now, on the flip side of that, I think that we've got to be very honest about the machines, okay? And so if we're going to do that, we've got to think about the view from both parties. And so if you go back to 2016, when Trump won, you had every major media company running stories about how these machines could be hacked and how they're dangerous and insecure and all those things. 2020 happens. And obviously, you know, same concerns. 
okay? But not from the mainstream media, but <laughs> from the vote, okay? <laughs> and instead, the mainstream media shifted their opinion to these are the safest things you've ever seen. You know, it's it's honestly, it's like it's almost comical. If you take their view from 2016 where these things were so dangerous and, oh, yeah. you know, all that yeah. – these are the safest thing you've ever seen. If you say anything negative about them, you are a conspiracy theorist and should be thrown offline. Yep. Uh, you know, but the truth is there's no confidence from the losing party, no matter who it is. Okay. And so I think that tells us something. These machines have made our elections into something that our elections should never be. And that's untrusted. And we've got to get that trust back in the system by getting rid of the machines. We were perfectly able to run elections without them before. We should be perfectly able to do it again. And beyond that, you know, when I was younger and they were counting machine or they were counting votes uh, by hand instead of by machines, we didn't have an issue counting them in one day. Okay. Now with machines and the advent of technology, you would think it would be even faster, but it's not. We're slowing down the process. Yep. You know, and you've got this thing where in some of those states like Nevada, it took like a week for them to announce who won Nevada, right? And um, you know, beyond that, I think that there's a lot of state issues that states need to look into because on the election front, you know, you don't want to make too many federal laws about elections, because the minute you do and you federalize elections, if Democrats get power again, then they'll take that run with it and turn our elections into something that is, you know, you'll never be able to trust or recognize ever again. It'll be third world country stuff. Agreed. Um, yeah. It'll be beyond what is happening with COVID, what they've done with that. So. I think on a state level, we've got to elect the right people, the legislature and to governor seats that where essentially they have the mindset that we've got to fortify our elections and make them trusted again. And we've got to do what's necessary to make that happen, because, you know, at this point, we actually just had an election here um, for county commissioner. And I don't know if you guys saw this in Williamson County, Tennessee, election for county commissioner. They used Dominion machines, which had been complained about for years, okay? And voters had just, you know, screamed until they were blue in the face to get rid of these things. And what do you think happened during the county commissioner race? Those machines malfunctioned, oh, okay? No. I put a quote around malfunctioned. Yeah. And uh, eight of them, I think it was six or eight of them gave the wrong counts mm. and had to go and do a total recount of the election because of those machines. Now, imagine no person had caught the issue. Now, does anybody think that this has happened before and nobody caught the issue? Of course it has. Yeah. And so we've got to get back to a semblance of trust. And we also have to make sure that on a state level, we're making these elections bipartisan, that we are making sure that when somebody's counting votes, there's two people at a table at minimum and that they represent both major parties and that you have bystanders, same thing. No more of these rules. You have to stay 200 feet away. Any of that BS. You should be able to record. You should be able to be right there with legal advocates watching the entire thing. No issue. Here's another thing. On a state level, I would love to see them mandate that there are cameras in every room. Make sure there's cameras in literally every room where they're counting votes and where there is voting. Okay. You don't obviously, you know, record people's vote and what they, they do, you know, that crosses boundaries. But recording what is happening once that ballot is in the hands of election officials, I think is 
entirely necessary on every front. You should be able to follow everything that happens to a ballot from the time a voter hands it off to the minute that it is counted and it is stored away. Um, and those things have to change if we want to trust in the elections again, because I was on the board of the Amistad project right after the election, doing a lot of election lawsuits and all that stuff and investigating what happened. And there were so many failures in that election and so many things that were not on the up and up that, you know, regardless of how you feel, you know, if you're one of those 28 percent of people who still like Kamala Harris or 34 percent of people who still like Joe Biden, <laughs> you should be concerned, too, about the fact that. This was allowed to go on, even if you believe that they won on the up and up, you should still be concerned that, you know, some mailboxes had dozens of ballots sent to them where nobody lives. OK, you should still be concerned that people voted in the names of other voters. You know, you should still be concerned that people voted from out of state who don't live there and haven't lived there for years. All of these issues, you should be concerned that there's 300,000 plus ballots in one state where there was no chain of custody. All of those things should concern anybody who actually cares about our elections being trustworthy. Yeah, those are some definite. Well, if chain of custody is going to be important in a court case. Yep. For evidence. I mean, this is the the biggest court case there is like there's the evidence of what happened with the election. It seems like that would be a no brainer, but and God you, forbid you can't cheat. Well, added thing that I didn't talk about too, is I think honestly, one of the biggest things was the amount of money that Mark Zuckerberg was allowed yes, to put in the election. Yeah, yes. We're talking about half a billion dollars. Yeah, okay? so sketchy. And yeah. we were raising that alarm, by the way, I am going to mention, I'm going to mention some, I'm going to get in the weeds here on this. Okay. So when everything was going on, December, January of 2020, um, yeah, I, I should say 2020, then 2021. Um, there were a lot of people who were spending a lot of energy and a lot of print and a lot of ink on things that were not provable. Okay. There were a lot of like, you know, let's raise the crack in and all this, you know, all, all that unleash the crack and all that stuff. And it came to fruitless efforts where the court cases were laughed out. And to be honest, they hurt the court cases that were really serious and had evidence and were very clear and could have actually turned things around because those got laughed out of court by proxy. And one of my concerns is that people miss this Zuckerberg story, okay? We were raising the alarm. Philip Klein, um, the Amistad Project, myself, people like David Harris, we were raising the alarm about this back then, and nobody covered it. This is now getting covered as of about a month ago. People started talking about it and it became this big story. And I'm like, where were you guys when this was actually happening? We raised the alarm in November, December and January about this, saying this was what flipped a lot of what happened. And it, it was blatantly illegal. And a lot of the ballots were turned in after hours when they shouldn't have even been accepted. Yes. But beyond that, the whole operation was blatantly illegal and nothing has been done about it. This is something that we have to fix for future elections because, you know, I, I, I hate that so much of the energy went to things like people like Lynn Wood and stuff like that because they, they resulted in nothing. There was a bunch of people running around in circles and they were missing the real stories that were factual, were provable, and were showing that there were serious, serious issues and that you couldn't trust what happened. And so, you know, that's one of my regrets about that whole time period is that the wrong people were being listened to and had the right people been listened to or people like Harmeet Dillon, yeah. um, who's an exceptional lawyer, been uplifted to lead a lot of 
the election lawsuits, I honestly think we may be at a different place today than we are. No, I agree with you. And it's pretty funny. You know, as soon as you started saying getting into the weeds, the, before the first sentence was done, Noah we live in me, the weeds. Well, Noah looked me right in the face and, and nodded like, oh, here it comes, because every single person who has uh, like a law background or is really dialed into their campaigns, I'm talking like Bobby Python, Anthony Sabatini, two people who have just been going crazy about this election integrity, fixing stuff moving forward, uh, Carrie Lake, you know, last week we had Ron DeSantis come out and talk about the election uh, integrity office that he's opening up in Florida. In addition, he's one of the prominent governors that's calling out uh, – you know, Zuckerberg and all this funny stuff that's going on. We've got somebody finally running in Georgia that looks like he's going to be able to get Brian Kemp out of there. But they all say the same things. You know, right after the 2020 presidential election, we've even had people work who had worked on Rudy Giuliani's camp, or lawsuits with him for, you know, the original Stop the Steal. And they just said it was so unorganized and the numbers that they were presenting were so big without actual evidence. Like the there was there, but the way they were presenting it was just absolutely absurd to where judges were like, okay, you can't say like in a, in a state of 1 million people that 999,000 committed voter fraud. I'm not going to disenfranchise an entire state. This is out of here. And, and you know, I'm just kind of rounding off the numbers of what they actually were, but it would, they just said they, they never were able to get their, their footing on the ground because of, you know, they, they knew it was there. They just, it just didn't do it the right way and address, like you said, some of the real things with some of the real people who were definitely dialed into what actually was happening. Um, it kind of put us in the situation we're in now. Yeah, I, I mean, I have, that's essentially, it's exactly how I viewed things that, you know, I think the real issues beyond all that were, you know, the most damaging, I should say, were the Linwood things mm -hmm. and the Sidney Powell stuff. Yep. Um, it, it just, it didn't go anywhere. And I feel like it fed people a lot of false hope. Oh, we liked and, it initially. And then it was just like, oh, nothing happened. And, yeah. Exactly. Nothing happened. And that it wasn't fair to the voters. It wasn't fair to the people who were getting invested in it. And I wish that they had been presented indisputable facts constantly. You know, um, that's probably my biggest regret about what happened during that time, because I do think things could have turned out differently with the right people elevated to the right positions. Yep. And it's, it's so interesting to see all these different components, you know, People like Seth Keschel and, and like I already mentioned, Bobby Python, even Christina Bob from from OAN, you know, she's a news reporter now. We know she was in the military and worked for DHS after that. But, you know, she's like, oh, yeah, you know, after after the election, I, I jumped on and, and was legal counsel on, on Rudy Giuliani's like, you know, election. And I'm just like, wow, so many different people literally had their hands on this thing. And. You know, we're kind of in the situation we are now, but I think we, I think Robbie, one of the best things is we've been able to identify the problems, uh, definitely point them out a little bit more. Hopefully all the people like you guys will be getting in there, uh, moving forward and we'll be able to really, uh, get things going in the right direction, uh, for Absolutely. future elections. Absolutely. And I think, you know, you're going to see in this class of candidates running in 2022, um, I think the most ideologically dedicated people that we've seen enter Congress in a long time. Yeah. And that's something that gives me a lot of hope because there's been a whole lot of talking and not a whole lot of doing. And I think we're going to see a new group of people that are going to be really focused on the doing like Ron DeSantis has been in Florida. Yeah. And I think that that's something that I would love to see extended to Congress, the type of action that we're seeing down there. 
you know, we're just going to have to win a majority that is able to do that. You know, with a large enough majority, we're going to be able to do some exceptional things. And I think that's something that um, we're really dedicated to, not just in my own race, but in helping other races where we feel like, you know, there's a real chance to get people in who are going to be change makers. Yeah, that's one of the things uh, when we had Matt Brainerd on, he talked about that he was kind of advising for some of the campaigns that are out there, you know, America first and stuff like that. However, he was also encouraging them to get with other people who are running that might not be in his scope and kind of all organize themselves because it, Matt was saying, it's not me that's going to be going to Washington, D.C. He's, I might go back to Washington, D.C., but I won't be elected to Washington, D.C. It's all of this new class that's going to come in there and kind of like write the ship. Um, one of the things that may not be able to be righted before the midterm elections, but is probably one of the number one issues affecting the country right now is the whole COVID narrative. Um, whether you're pro-vaccine, kind of pro-vaccine, you know, vaccinate your kids, but this is different than vaccinations, the weaponization of OSHA. You've also had this stuff come out in the last, you know, 24 hours um, in regards to, I saw Thomas Massey has been talking about, you know, the FDA approved uh, the vaccine through the executive order. However, that vaccine is not available in the United States and won't be for an undetermined amount of time. In addition to that news that broke late last night, I believe you were one of the people who shared it uh, based off of that FOIA request. Yes, that where, was brilliant. Where the CDC has had to admit that it has no record of an unvaccinated person spreading COVID after receiving COVID ever. Oops. Oopsie Daisy, <laughs> you know, that that's going to be the predicate for a lot of lawsuits. Um, you know, I think that my position on mandates, on, um, you know, forced vaccinations and forced masking, all this stuff, I've been I would argue probably the most vocal person running um, yeah. for 2022 on this issue. It's something that it's such a gross violation of what it means to be American and what our core values are as a country yeah. and what our constitutional rights are in every way it is divorced from who we are as a country and why this country was formed and so if you truly believe that you want to live in a free country then it doesn't matter whether somebody gets the vaccine or not what matters is that the government doesn't have the right to ever do any of this period doesn't matter what it is i don't care if the virus has uh you know 10 percent fatality rate rather than what the minuscule one that it has now for children. You don't get to go and take over a parental role and say you have to vaccinate every child in the country for them to be able to participate in education or participate in any of this stuff. I've actually had an issue with this previous to COVID because I don't see the state as having the, I shouldn't say ability, that I don't think they have the right to go in and tell parents you have to get your kid this entire schedule of vaccinations in order yeah. for them to school. I, that's just not the state's role. That's not an anti-vax thing. It's not saying you shouldn't get your kids vaccinated. It's saying this needs to be an individual right. This is not something the government gets to just issue edicts on as if it's a monarchy and we have a king. We don't have kings in America. And so the idea that, you know, again, this is something that this gets in the weeds where you talk about things like the Commerce Clause. Right. You know, if the Commerce Clause is effectively used the way it should be and the separations of power are used the way that they should be and we actually have co-equal branches of government, you should never have somebody like Joe Biden dictating what happens across the entire U.S. in terms of individuals' medical care or what type of treatments they have to get. And 
I mean, it's just, it's honestly, it's a frustrating thing to talk about because it's so ludicrous on every front. It boggles my mind that there is any significant group of people who are pro forcing other people to get medicated. Yeah. If you start to like extrapolate this across your entire life and all the ways this could be used, then you should be able to functionally understand how this is terrifying. It's a terrifying betrayal of our values as a country. So it's something that I, I think, um, you know, if you want to really have a chance to win in 2022 as a Republican, um, I encourage candidates, don't be afraid to talk about these issues because people care about liberty. They care about freedom. They care about having their individual rights. And this is also a way to outreach to, you know, sort of the soft left who is disenchanted with the Democratic Party, because that's a group of people who traditionally in the past cared about civil liberties. Yes. They cared about things, you know, that now fall on the right, you know, like free speech. Um, and in general, all of these things from the censorship around COVID to the actual mandates and the force and, and coercion, all of it is something that can be very attractive, not just to our own side, but to independents and to people who are those disenchanted, you know, old school Democrats. Yeah, we uh, we definitely, you know, are, are living in some weird times with this whole mandate things. We talk about it on the show all the time. We we we've we are very interactive with a whole bunch of people who were from heroes to fired already. Um, we always keep bringing up, you know, whenever the military people who follow our show or federal workers who follow our show, we're running up on hard deadlines right now where people are going to have to make some really difficult choices. And it's like the possibility of severe adverse effects or death or, you know, bending the knee and, and getting this done just to be able to maybe put food on the table. It, it's, it's definitely a or shame. Or not end up on the street. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where where it's it's real and and we can't believe we're living in these times right now. It's it's definitely affecting a lot of families across the United States when we're in the holiday season. Absolutely, I was just talking to a mom this morning, um, whose son, you know, and this is this is again, this is not an anti-vax thing. This is me explaining the end result of policy. Okay, mm -hmm. I was talking to a mom this morning. And um, if I'm able to switch apps when I'm talking to you, I can tell you her name because she's out publicly now, um, Pamela Goodman, okay? And um, her son worked for a company that mandated vaccines, and her son died. And on the actual death certificate, um, I want to read you, the, de the death certificate says, cause of death was um, dilated cardiomyopathy. And it was due to a consequence of the valve regurgitation complicating atrial septal defect caused by um, it's a febrile reaction following COVID-19 vaccination. Wow. Okay. So it actually cites um, the vaccination. Wow. That's actually on the death certificate. Okay. Um, and his name was Benjamin Goodman. That's okay. Awful. So this is something, you know, these cases, when you talk about individual deaths and you talk about people's rights being stripped away. What you're essentially saying is, had he not gotten that, okay, he's 99% chance, you know, barring some crazy accident, alive right now, okay? Yeah. So he died as a result of government force, fraud, and coercion, okay? Because they used his work, his ability to feed his family, his ability to survive as a, a cudgel to essentially force him into this. 
And so when you do this type of thing, um, there's real world consequences to it. And the government, the media, everybody involved is going to have to reckon with that at some point, because the fact that we're talking about something where, again, you're talking about force and also zero liability. You're releasing the manufacturers of these things from any liability, which is just ludicrous. You know, imagine the government mandating that you drive a vehicle that has an unknown safety record <laughs> and they say, but you can't sue the car company if the car falls apart or if the autopilot fails and crashes your entire family and kills them, you know, everybody would say this is insane. It's the same thing. You know, the government is forcing people into something that may not have airbags and we don't know what's going to happen. An autopilot may take over and crash the car. No. We have no idea. But That's is it green? Risk <laughs> that people need to do the math on and they need to decide with my own health my own, you know, complications I could possibly have, my comorbidities, is it the right thing for me? For some, it will be. Others, it won't. Yeah. And government just stay out of that. Yeah, they certainly do. And we hope at the end of the day, some of these initial cases that are making it to court, hopefully they find some judges who really sit down and kind of reflect on the Constitution and understand the words that are on the paper, not the things that they hear from the legacy media, because that's definitely uh, a factor in these times. You know, we're in such a digital age where you could feel so strongly about something, but then see or think that everyone's going to hate you and it gets out so fast. They're going to cancel you. They're going to dox your family, you know, all this bad stuff. If you just stick up for what's literally right, you know, thank God that there's, you know, candidates like you out there where obviously you know what's right and you're, and you're running on it. And, and that comes from like the strong family that you have. Uh, which is the last thing I want to touch on with you briefly, because I know I've heard you talk so passionately about it, um, you know, going up through the elections that we had uh, a week and a half ago, uh, is the critical race theory or whatever pronouns school boards are trying to disguise it as now. Because if you say critical race theory in some school boards, you'll be kicked out for not calling it what it's not, <laughs> the, way that, the way they're kind of framing it. Um, You're not allowed to say that. You have to leave. Right. The destruction of the middle class, the dissolving of the nuclear family and, and things like CRT are, are so important right now. We, we just had on um, a guest and, and part of the last segment we covered right before you jumped in with us today was that whole uh, speech that Josh Hawley gave last weekend at the um, young conservative event followed up with on Axios and then joined Tucker for later in the week, which kind of just talks about, you know, the stuff that's going on with masculinity, but more important, the critical race theory is, is just kind of, taking this entire generation of, of young children and kind of getting them to see the world in a way that's just not the way it is. Yeah. It's just not. Um, you know, a lot of these things flared back up during the Obama administration with some, some issues that happened between citizens and the community and then law enforcement in the community, and it has just spiraled into something that we get, can't seem to get our hands around. Now, parents are really waking up to this. You know, you're seeing so many people push back. I know you feel really passionate about it. What is your whole stance on that? And what do you feel like should be something that moving forward we can do to get away from that whole narrative? Well, I'm, I'm going to dive right in. I have a bill already ready to go. Oh, wow. That we first to introduce. Okay. Um, and this is what it is. It's very simple. And it's a clean bill. We're not going to add a bunch of stuff to it. We're going to challenge people to deny the clean bill. If they, you know, are going to, we'll name and shame them for denying the clean bill. Here it is. You are not allowed to train, 
teach or deploy critical race theory in any sense, any fashion, if you take federal money. Okay. So if money is touching your account, I don't care if you're a business, I don't care if you're a school, whatever it is, if you take money from the federal government, you cannot teach, train, or deploy this in any manner. Okay. Now that means we're covering by doing that, 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 that whole thing is the bill, by the way, that's it. Okay. And there are consequences to it, which I'll get into after. But if you do, you're going to lose that federal funding. And that means that we're covering companies like Amazon, Lockheed Martin, all these companies take federal money. Yeah. You're not talking about public universities. You're not just talking about public schools. You're also talking about institutional, you know, private universities, because guess what? They take federal dollars too. And so this pretty much covers everything. That right there covers the entire thing. And so I want you to imagine the Democratic Party has essentially made the argument CRT is not real for years now, correct? Right. Yes. Okay. So if a majority in the House and a majority in the Senate pass this bill through and we send it to Joe Biden's desk, let's assume he's there in 2022, okay? Um, we send it to his desk to be signed. The challenge he's going to have is, number one, this is coming on a wave of voting where people were vocally opposed to CRT. And that's not just white people, which the media would love to argue, as the recent poll we saw yesterday from Suffolk and um, the Federalist showed, this is something that is across all races. The opposition is profound, okay? Coming on the back of that, he's going to either have to tell all those people they're crazy and the CRT still isn't real, yep. or he's going to have to be forced, essentially, to sign that bill. Or explain why he's not going to. Is he going to go out there and say, I don't want to hurt Amazon? I'm sure that's going to be really popular with voters. Mm -hmm. You know, let's put the onus on him to have to sign these bills and make them clean bills. So there's no argument against not signing them. He's going to have to live and die by actually signing them or not signing them. Um, and I think that's that's got to be our priority in 2022 is bills that go right to the point are very clear and put a test to the Oval Office and say, Deny us this, we dare you, because in 2024, a short time away from 2022, a reckoning is coming. Yeah, it is. And signing or not signing those bills is going to dictate just how brutal that reckoning will be. No, that, that that's good, and that kind of leaves the only question for me regarding the whole critical race theory: is do we all eventually think General Milley will find the root origins of white rage? <laughs> You know, uh, I'd be I'd be happy if he could find, you know, uh, a, a battle plan yeah. <laughs> of some sort. Please. I'd be happy if he could tell me, you know, exactly what we're doing to um, stop the incursions of the, that the Chinese are making right now, the communist China. Uh, I don't think he's thinking very much about our country, to be perfectly honest with you. I mean, it's uh, this should be very concerning to people. Very. Every Everything about what he's doing should be very concerning to people. The guy should have been fired, um, even under President Trump, I would argue. You know, he should have been fired. And he should be fired now. And I think in Congress, there are some mechanisms available where we could try to hold him accountable for his behaviors. That's another thing on that front. You know, having a majority means we get to hold Fauci accountable, too. Yes. 
And um, I think that that is something that is very important because an investigation needs to take place into what has been hidden at the NIH, why it was hidden, and give it to the public, allow the public full transparency so they can see exactly what is going on at the NIH um, and exactly what Fauci has, has done and not told the people about. Because I have a sneaking suspicion that there are multiple things, let's say, that the people are not aware of yet that Fauci is responsible for and that Fauci has tried to hide. So, um, you know, that's something I'm really looking forward to. That guy, he deserves, honestly, I believe what he's done has risen to a level of criminality that needs to to be confronted. I think we all can agree on that. And uh, although things might be getting a little bit worse for the next little while, things are, I have to say, you know, in the long term, look extremely great moving forward there there's a lot of people who not only have come through this show but have come you know out to the forefront of, of this movement of, of america first and and really putting its constituents and the american people you know at the forefront of their campaigns and why it's not just because we're gonna get a tax cut it's not just because we're not liberals it's for real reasons now that you're not are, a liberal unfortunately i'm not <laughs> And it's pretty funny that that he mentioned some of those mechanisms, uh, Robbie, you know, talking about things that are going on even in the Senate now. You know, Joe Biden has the lowest number of confirmed ambassadors of any president in modern history. And and that is mainly because senators like Ted Cruz and Josh Hawley have held up his appointments because of things like um, Josh Hawley wants to see uh, Austin and Millie fired and he wants them held accountable for Afghanistan. And Ted Cruz wants the... European pipeline between Russia and Germany canceled. Uh, he doesn't want American dollars to be invested in that. He doesn't want to have to protect one country from another while the country they're protecting it from is giving it literally energy, you know, at a rate that is not the rate that the U.S. gets it. Um, so people are putting up these little roadblocks right now and doing the best they can. You know, the ones, some of the really, really, really rhinos in there, like the, the usual 13 in the House that vote everything, uh, not against the Trump, of, not for the Trump agenda, and then the ones in the Senate who were, you know, on board with the impeachment and stuff like that, or are out the door and don't want to tie their name to anything that might label them Trump because they're going to go work for lobby groups and think tanks and stuff like that. We really can't consider those people like really in the mix anymore, anyway. But um, you know, moving forward, it definitely does look promising. It, it, it's been awesome having you come on today. Um, at some point between now and the midterms, we'd love to have you back, get an update on your campaign, how things are going. I'm, I mean, I'm sure the issues will change in a few months. So, I mean, we're connected. Uh, we have an extremely interactive listening audience. They do groundwork. They donate. They help promote you on social media. Anywhere that you want to give out uh, your campaign website and your social medias for our listening audience right now, we'll live link in our show description and then you'll you'll see some almost instantaneous results. Why don't you why don't you uh, tell everybody where they could find you? Absolutely. The biggest ways you can help is number one, donations. Fundraising is something that a lot of people don't realize how critical it is to the success of a campaign. It also dictates, you know, and nobody likes to talk about this. The dirty little secret about Washington. It dictates committees you get on where you can actually get stuff done and where you can actually wield power to stop people like Fauci. And so your donations matter. The Democrats that I'm running against, one who's an AOC acolyte, the Mm. other one is a ludicrous guy who's been there for over 30 years. They both have taken tons of PAC money. I've taken zero PAC money from any corporations, um, from any of those groups. 
I am funded by the people. And I think that's really important so that I am responsible to the people. So if you can donate, it's at starbuck2022.com, starbuck2022.com. And then you just click the donate button. You can also buy merch there. We have Make America Free Again hoodies for winter. Nice. Um, you can buy those hoodies for winter and stay warm. They're really soft. I will tell you that. Um, I, I, at risk of sounding like Mike Lindell, um, these are the <laughs> softest hoodies I've ever had. Um, and they will give you a better night's sleep. Okay. I'm there joking about the better night's sleep. But um, <laughs> I mean, you're probably not wrong. I'm probably not wrong, to be honest with you. I mean, if you slept, you'd be very warm. And then um, on the flip side of that, uh, volunteering, because you do not yes. have to live in Tennessee to volunteer. This is a national race with national implications. Um, if you sign up on the volunteer tab on our website, which is starbuck2022.com, um, we'll plug you in pretty immediately to be able to phone bank. You'll get trained and then start phone banking. Or if you already know how to use Campaign Sidekick, put that in the notes of your volunteer um, paperwork when you sign up to volunteer on the website. And they'll get you kind of rolling right into phone banking, into calling voters, into engaging with them and selling you know, why we need people like me in Congress. Because um, it's not about me. It's about you guys. You know, I'm just a voice for everything that our people, our base are, are talking about and are concerned about and want fixed in this country. And so, um, you know, I feel like when you do that, when you phone bank or when you donate to a candidate like me, you know, it's really an investment in our future for our kids and that we have representatives who actually stand for us. Yeah, that's so, so true. And uh, definitely we will link that uh, your website, We'll, we'll link your socials, get people following you and interacting with you there. And uh, I might be buying a hoodie right now. Well, Noah has been known for that. Um, Matt, I'm going to need a picture of anybody, anybody who buys a hoodie. I need a picture where you tag me on Instagram so that we can put it on our store too. Awesome. Um, so that people can see how good you guys look in the hoodies. I might have to wear a horse head mask. <laughs> okay, that, that I'll allow it. Oh, perfect. So, yeah, you know, Robbie, it's been awesome chatting with you today. Like I said, we hope to get you back at some point in the near future. Um, you got a beautiful family. Of course, we've already mentioned you have an awesome wife, and we, we wish you the best of luck moving forward. Uh, and uh, thank you for coming down with us today on this Friday edition of Steak for Breakfast. Absolutely. You guys have a great day. You guys have a great show. Thank you, sir. You take care. Thank you. What do you think, Robbie Starbuck? That was pretty good. Came as advertised, huh? I like him. I mean, I'm excited for my... Uh, my new Giza hoodie to show up. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Sleep well, America. <laughs> um, you know, it's funny. We have these people on the show on a, on a week-to-week basis, and, you know, you see them, you hear them. There's a certain expectation. You never know how they're going to act, and it seems like they bring their A-game when they come on steak for breakfast, so we're appreciative of that. And like I said, we I, I'd be more than happy to have him back because... Well, water seeks its own level. There you go. <laughs> um, you know who doesn't really prefer water, but... That sometimes prefers margaritas. Who? Nancy Pelosi. Ooh. I'm surprised she doesn't have, like, uh, one of those, like, hard hats with the two beer cups on either side of it when she's up there working. They'd probably be Bloody Marys. (laughs) Yeah. Well, regardless of what's going on. Five-gallon jugs. What's coming down the pike or how well we'll be next year. Right now, it seems like the Brandon administration is keeping their foot on the pedal in an all-out, not-care-about-the-poll numbers, burn it down while they still can, uh, move to hurt the American people, especially the working class. Um, Nancy Pelosi came and chatted about this week 
some of the things about the build back crappier agenda mm. and how much cleaner and greener it'll be. Um, let's hear Sister Nance kind of introduce that a little bit as we get into but this But we're segment. here today to report on what we have done. This is a nearly trillion-dollar investment in Build Back Better and bipartisan infrastructure framework. Recognizes the interconnectedness of climate change and gender justice and enables women and girls to lead a just transition to a clean energy economy of the future. Wait, what? did she just ass- Our legislation advances our mission to decarbonize and realign every sector of the economy. It is a model of collaboration that brings together public, private, and nonprofit sectors to seal the, scale the non-profit. solutions necessary for achieving net zero pollution Impossible. globally. Scissor me, These bills are far reaching in scale and scope, ensuring that the design, manufacturing, financing, and deployment of our economy, our future economy, is cleaner and greener. You know, it's pretty funny. Like Robbie just said, the reckoning will depend on how much, once we take back the House and Senate, they're willing to comply. Because right now, it's it's like I led into this. It's burn it down, no matter what. And it's one of those things right now where they just don't care uh, what anything looks like, how much the public hates them, whether or not Joe Biden referred to a baseball player as a Negro twice on Veterans Day, <laughs> uh, whether or not he crapped his pants at the Vatican, or whether or not they took Gulf Streams and an 85-car caravan. Did you see the meme where it was like all the world leaders returning home from the climate summit, and it was just like, that superimposed image of like 7,000 airplanes taking off. Yes. Yeah, that's exactly what happens, though. So it's not a joke. Their, their carbon footprint probably exiting Scotland last week rivaled China. Yeah. Mm. I don't know. That's pretty hard to rival China. I mean, they how many, how many freaking coal plants are they making every week? Infinity. Yeah. It's like watching uh, what those little video games where like they're building stuff. Yes. Running around, fighting battles. Since we're talking about numbers... <laughs> We did touch on last week Brandon's tanking poll numbers, Oof. but even worse, Kamala Harris's. Um, she's trying to uplift her image. She was in France talking about climate this week, <sighs> faking a French accent Yeah, that was, to people who don't speak English. Was, I mean, yours was better. Thank you. Jimmy Kimmel. I, I, they probably speak English. They're pretty fluent in France, I think. Resident Pedo mm-hmm. and Super Creeper, also known for blackface, um, touched on these low poll numbers for Kamala Harris. And guess what? It's racist. What? Her having low poll numbers is because she's... How dare you? What? <laughs> yes. That's a thing? You want to hear it? I mean, I know it's a thing. I know but, you don't want to hear it, but uh, we're going to hear it right now. <laughs> yep. Anything can get the American people fired up. It's infrastructure. So... <laughs> And Biden is alone. Americans really aren't happy with his vice president, Kamala Harris. Kamala Harris has an approval rating of 28%, which is makes no sense because she basically has nothing to do. I mean, it's like <laughs> criticizing a backup quarterback. Tom Brady's okay. I don't love the way Blaine Gabbert has his legs folded on the bench. I have to be honest. 
Kamala's approval rating uh, of 28 percent is even lower than the 30 percent who approved of Dick Cheney in 2008 after he shot a guy in the face. <laughs> I think these people are forgetting that at least 10 percent of, of those polled approved of Dick Cheney because he shot a guy in the face. <laughs> I think I know why Kamala's ratings are low, besides sexism and racism, which are the obvious ones. It's because whenever she's next to Joe, standing near him, behind him, she looks like an assassin. She looks like <laughs> Nebula next to Thanos, ready to, right? Especially with a mask. Hey, Kamala, this guy's being a wise guy. Show him what we do to wise guys. It is surprising that Biden's numbers are so... No, it's not. No, it really it, isn't. It really isn't. So, wait, where was he going to go with that? I, I don't know, but I'm glad the clip ended. We, we did talk about those numbers last week, and, and I, I know you saw that Fox News segment where they referenced the USA Today poll. I'm going to go in ascending order, okay, uh, just so our listeners can get get their wrap their brains around this one. The question was, and this was to um, 1,000 adults, and it was plus minus 3.1% Democrat, Okay. In your view, what is the most important thing for Joe Biden to do in the next year? You're asking me? Well, I'm going to read you the poll numbers. <laughs> you, but you, I guarantee you could answer what the number one was. You could mm. play that. What's that game with, with that guy? He's like, show me something. It's like the top ten of each thing. The price. No, not the price. Mm. Right. Not Jeopardy. No. What are we thinking of? Is it? Fa it's not Family Feud, is it? Maybe. Yeah. Well, it, it, this is definitely. I think one. it is Family Feud. Okay. Well, there you go. Uh, infrastructure bills came in last place. So the only thing he's going to wind up passing legitimately in the first year of his presidency, which would be his high point is a low point for the country. 5% COVID mandates close second, 5.6%, but they want that immigration border control, 7.5% jobs in the economy, 10.6%. And in first place, at a whopping 20%, resign, retire, or quit. Mm. Yeah. That's not One American News. That's not Red, White, and Truth. I, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that number one is... Uh... Are we really there? Yeah, it's oh, a winner. Perfect. <laughs> I'm glad, I'm glad, see, now I'm glad Antoinette left a little bit. Of, <laughs> you didn't have to subject her to that because then she would have had to pretend to laugh. Um, Joe Biden did speak a couple times this week and, and, and referenced some of his, uh, I don't know if you want to call them accomplishments, mm. things that are being force fed on the American public. Um, he talked about stimmies. Because, oh, we're going to do that again? Well, no, just in general. Oh. Because remember... If you've crossed the border illegally and, and you were human trafficking a child. It's kind of a stimmy. And then you abandoned that child, you may be eligible to receive half a million dollars from the Department of Justice. However, if you were a small business owner and you were locked down for 18 months, you are now in so much debt that you, well, you have to pay it back. Suicide 24-7. You received a $1,400 check from Joe Biden. You better be thankful. Yeah. support in China. It can delay shipment of furniture or clothing, reduce worldwide supply, and driving up prices here in America. And the irony is people have more money now because of the first major piece of legislation I passed. Huh? 
They all got checks for $1,400. You got checks for a whole range of things. That's less than my mom, rent. And you have kids under the age of seven, you're getting 300 bucks a month. And if it's over over seven to 17, you're getting $360 a month. Like wealthy people used to do when they get back tax returns. It changed people's lives. But what happens if there's nothing to buy, you got more money, you compete for getting it there, it's, it creates a real problem. So on the one hand, we're facing new disruptions to our supplies. At the same time, we're also experiencing higher demand for goods because wages are up as well as as well as people have money in the bank. The fact of the matter is, if you just continue to print never-ending money, it will drive inflation and it will just continue to make this whole situation worse. So by saying we got $1,400 checks, in addition to that whatever $300, $400 parents are getting for like kid care month that they're going to get taxed for at the end of the year and don't realize it now, it's not doing anything for the economy or to stimulate the American people. It's making everything literally worse. And the supply chain stuff is completely take, his fault. Take it, shoot every business in the foot. California, 40% less mm. truck drivers. Owner operators are banned. That is what's causing this. Well, don't worry because I don't know if you were aware of this. The average oil and gas workers make 133 plus thousand dollars a year however joe biden is planning on eliminating those jobs and replacing them with 45 bucks an hour jobs makes sense solar power technicians forty five thousand dollars a year that's what they make oh well i thought you meant 45 dollars an hour because that actually still be pretty good oh you'll see he said it all and more in the next clip oh man from a federal government standpoint. And so look, this is a once in a generation investment to create good paying jobs, modernize infrastructure, turn the climate crisis into an opportunity. When I talk climate to other world leaders, I say, think one thing. We're dealing with climate, think jobs, hmm. good jobs, because that's how you beat the climate crisis. Put us on a path to win the economic competition of the 21st century. We face with China and the rest of the world. China is outspending us on research and development. China is outspending all these, these other countries are as well. And here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to create good paying union jobs. Union. Not good job, Not $12 an hour. Not $15 an hour. 45 bucks an hour and up with good benefits. So you can raise a family on and build the middle class out. And jobs that cannot be outsourced. You can't outsource these jobs. And I'm going to transform our transportation system with the most significant investment in passenger rail in the past 50 years. In roads and bridges, the most significant investment in 70 years. And investments in public transit that uh, we've done over the period. And is this going to be, it's going to modern. You know, we need one of those things where it can take his words and put them up onto our lab screens at, in real time so we could actually see what he's saying. I think it would make it that much more funnier for mm. us. I yeah. like it when people do those and they put the subtitles in. Yeah, well, those are funny. I make more than $45 an hour. I made last year over $150,000. I cannot support my family. At Walmart? The managerial program's nice. <laughs> so... Oh, you, you greet a lot of people there. Oh, yeah. Hi. So, yeah, exactly. How you doing? Would you like a mask? Me either. <laughs> <laughs>
I cannot support my family of four in Southern California on just my salary alone, period. Yeah. And, and I'm taking home now under this regime almost 20% less than I did under the Trump administration. Those are facts. Um, what else are facts are MSNBC, or I'm sorry, CNBC shit their pants and, and didn't know what to do when the inflation numbers came out and they tried to do a little segment on it. Um, I said, holy shit. He said, holy cow. And it was pretty awful. They didn't try to polish it like a turd. Can't polish this. And CPI, holy cow, hot, hot, hot. Even the headline is hot, up nine-tenths of one percent, up nine-tenths of one percent. And, of course, that really is much bigger than the six-tenths expected. Strip out the all-important food and energy, up six-tenths. That's two-tenths hotter than expected. And we jump we jump the broom on the handle here year over year cpi 6.2% 6.2% that's the highest since october of 1991 it was at 6.3% and it's the sixth month in a row of 5% or higher that began in july excuse me in june with a 5.0 so these are you know you could call it temporary but it certainly doesn't appear that way in the real world finally if you look at only core year over year up 4.6 much hotter than expected and to find a higher number year over year core than 4.6 you have to go back to july of 91 when it was 4.8 we know there was no turds polished in that mm. that doesn't sound good you you want to know what else doesn't sound good you remember how last month we reported on the august jobs numbers where 3.9 million americans worked away from full or at least part-time employment that received benefits. So they worked, let's say, 30 hours a week. 3.9 million people walked away in August. Jobs numbers came out today. Hold my beer. 4.4 million people, in addition to those 3.9 from August, walked away from their full or part-time jobs that gives benefits in September. You're talking nearly 8 million people left the workforce in the last two months because it is cheaper to collect unemployment and get these bullshit stimulus checks and eat top ramen and have basic cable and, like Josh Hawley says, play video games and watch porn than it is to actually go to work like a jerk-off and make so much money that you get the shit taxed out of you and then you take the exact same amount of money home when you can stay home and do nothing. That is where the economy is at right now. Well, and then these are the, the jobs that he's counting as available, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's absolutely awful. But uh, we do have to end on a high note. It is Friday. I want to send this into the weekend on a good note. Um, you boys like Delaware? Ron, Ron DeSantis, <laughs> persistent pusher-backer on the Biden administration, has absolutely had it. In the last 10 days, we've come to learn someone who crossed the southern border illegally and claimed to be a minor was actually 30 years old. Oh, weird. Was flown from Del Rio, Texas to Jacksonville, Florida went AWOL on his notice to appear, and murdered a father of four. Oh. Yeah. That's not good. It's awful. Fuck. And uh, this really happened, and Ron DeSantis has had enough. So he's come to learn that in the last several months since we've had this surge, seasonal whatever, or whatever you want to call it at the border. Magic. 75 flights have been flown from Texas 
to dump off migrants in the state of Florida in an attempt to destabilize the state, both the economy, crime, and COVID. Ron DeSantis has come up with a modern... Is he getting all the flights of COVID-positive people? Uh, Can you imagine? I I wouldn't doubt it, even though now Florida is the number one least COVID deaths, cases, and hospitalizations in the United States. No, everybody's supposed to be dying there. Everybody's dying in California still, where we're one of the highest. Oh, and guess what? Before I end on this good note, I'm going to give us a really bad one. Gavin Newsom, stroke face and all, came out yesterday and said his emergency use authorization powers have been extended from yesterday until March of 2022. Mm. Mm -hmm. Does he have stroke face? It was an audio message. Mm. Of course it was. But let's see how Ron DeSantis is solving the migrant (laughs) problem in Florida with a little thing I like to call you boys like Delaware. Doing a reverse card? Oh, sure is. You know, my view would be, why don't we, if, if they're going to come here, you know, we'll provide buses and provide them. Uh, we, I will send them to Delaware <laughs> and do that. I mean, if, if he's not going to support the border being secured, then, then he should be able to have uh, everyone there. Uh, so we will do whatever we can uh, in that regard, and we are absolutely going to do everything we can. Buses to Delaware. <laughs> I just thought of that part from Super Troopers. I can't get it out of my head now. So, And I definitely think Ron DeSantis is one of those people that would for surely go ahead and do something like that because he's absolutely had it. It seems like every time he gets a little bit of headway in something, making some good progress on, on some of these issues that the administration's really trying to crush his state on, shit like this, a father gets murdered you know, in, in an attempted robbery. I'd like to see the selection process of which migrants quote-unquote are going to these specific locations like are they picking the most wholesome ones out of the groups maybe oh apparently this was a 30 year old child so you can only imagine 30 year old child i'm 40 mm. something year old child mm. now that you're gonna murder a father for <laughs> no i'm not definitely yeah so Unless he comes at me with a skateboard well there you go oh too soon never <laughs> you know what you know what else isn't too soon Oh, close. It's about that time. What do you think? Yeah, I like it. And uh, you know what else I like? This song coming on, which means mm. the end of the show. Man, Friday edition in the books. Not bad. I liked it. You know, we're mixing it up a little bit, trying to bring you guys a uh, hodgepodge of different guests and opinion. They all seem to be awesome. We haven't had anybody that sucked. Definitely haven't had anybody that's ugly. I'm talking about Robbie Starbuck. No, nothing. What? <laughs> Can't even give me an Alex Jones for that one. <laughs> honest with you, I, I'm kind of retarded. I was, yep. I was well, trying to figure out what you were saying. I don't. I don't understand. I'm kind of down <laughs> to listen to Steak for Breakfast on all major podcasting platforms. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Pandora, Podbean, Google Podcasts, FM Player, and now iHeartRadio. Subscribe to the show, rate it, please leave a review. Don't leave those stars blank either. Download the pod, listen, like, follow, and of course, share our content. It only helps us make Steak great again. Show creds. Miss Elizabeth Jade. Awesome first appearance on Steak for Breakfast. First podcast. Ever. First podcast ever. We're going to have her back. We're going to send her over to Red, White, and Truth, too. Mike Crispy needs to get her on and uh, get some opinion out of her as well. In addition to 
congressional candidate out of Tennessee 5, Robbie Starbuck. And then you have the best of the rest, the usuals. Our Daily Breb, Dawnstar1776, The Moose is Loose, Q's for O's, Cagbro88, Patriotic Babe Official, Garbaggio's back in the mix. Nice. In addition, Christina Bob, OAN, Mike Crispy, Right Side Broadcasting Network, Tom Pappert, Editor-in-Chief of the National File, and RIP her Twitter account forever now, Uh-oh. Miss Emerald Robinson of no. Newsmax. Yep, find her on Getter. They canceled her. Thanks, Newsmax, Got her. For, for bringing her back in the mix. All you did was let Twitter throw her back in the arena and then canceled her for the stuff you guys suspended her for. Complete bullshit from a crappy organization over there. She's the best thing you guys got going, and you better quit fucking around or she's going to be out of there. True story? Safe for breakfast? I think so. I wouldn't hate it. Yeah. I've asked her. I've even emailed her. No response. Oh, it's a shame. I know. But you know what's not a shame? Visiting our sponsors, because you're always going to find great stuff, like high-quality headphones. You want them personalized for your gaming console? Do you want to have an amazing listening experience during your podcast or you're laying down some beats in the studio? Odyssey. Odyssey.com. Find them on Facebook. Find them on Instagram. Stay ready gear. Melted plastic. Done. Welly. Everything we have here from Stay Ready Gear is of the utmost quality. I love it. Looks great. They do great work. StayReadyGear.com. They're on Facebook. They're on Instagram, too. Man rubs. Gobble, 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 Noah. Mm, it's, only, almost, it's almost that time. Only a week and a half left. What are you doing for Thanksgiving? Uh, hopefully still being employed. We'll see. I'm going to bring you some leftovers. There you go. Nice transition. Buy it, shake it, rub it, throw it in the oven, wait for the popper, giblets gravy bubbling, fresh cranberries, hot buttered rolls, slice it up, yum, yum, yum. Not your turkey, but what you rubbed on it. It's Man Rubs, Instagram, Facebook, manrubs.com. Go get you some of that stuff. Mike down at West Coast Survival Arms, firearms, ammo, cleaning kits, cases. You need it. Mike's got it. Newly redesigned website, westcoastsurvivalarms.com. He's on Facebook Messenger and via the telephone, 619-870-6992. Mediocre medic for all our first responders. Look fresh off-duty. Mm. Grab a tack patch or a vinyl sticker for whatever you're riding in on duty. Mediocremedic.com. You'll love their Instagram. Last but not least, Mark Joe Friday, dumpbox.us, home of the Zero Fuck Stuck. Find them on Facebook. Find them on Instagram. Dumpbox.us. Upcoming shows. We got some good ones. And some of them are going to be a reveal right here. On Tuesday, Border Wars episode. Jorge nice. Ventura of The Daily Caller. Natalie Denise of Nightly with Natalie. In addition to all the other great work that she does along the Southwest border, they're coming on together. We'll have them cross the streams and meet each other if they haven't yet. Uh, I think it's going to be a great episode. I love Nat's commentary. Uh, she does a great job on her show nightly and Jorge just put out a documentary. We're going to get all the information on that from him and he's going to do a little bit of the news with us too. He's been on once already. He can do a segment. Yeah, he was good last time. I like yeah. it. Next Friday, it's kind of a big one. Amanda Milius, director of Plot Against the President, formerly of the Trump DOJ and a top Trump administration advisor, Dr. Peter Navarro will be appearing on Steak for Breakfast. It's going to be a mega episode. We always try to do our big leads on Friday. I don't know if next week's going to be maybe our biggest. So I miss the Trump DOJ. Yeah, well, we're going to get a little bit of it next Friday. 
Uh, the following week, on the 23rd, we're going to have Gabby Fox on the 26th of November. Congressional candidate out of New Jersey. Three. My home district, where I grew up. Trisha Flanagan, in addition to Jesse Strasham. She's going to be coming on for a little bit of an inspirational story. You guys are really going to like that one. On the 30th of November, your moderator, Chris Paul, from the High Noon Podcast, will be joining us in addition to Zuby. And then on the 12th of December, we're going to circle back for our original appointment with Myth Jessica Harlow. Myth. Of the Jessica Harlow. No Mr. Garrison for that one? No. Podcast. <laughs> Thank you. Um, friends of the Week. That Persian girl. Real Brenda Memes 10. Tara Ann Texas. Madam America. Thanks for the collab yesterday on that little Trump reel. Snack Nicholson, also of Uncharted Territory. The Duke of Memes. New one. Sent us a couple videos. They were fire. I posted them. Base Chihuahua. Follow them. Nice. Defiant L's. Dank Elvis. Grand old memes. And how could we ever forget good old pubertos? <laughs> Guys, between now and Tuesday, in addition to having a great weekend, do your own research. Hold the line. Ride it. Buy the dip. Get the fuck in here. Snatch the wigs. Ice your balls. Let's see what happens. But most importantly, where we go one, we go all. We'll be back on Tuesday with Jorge Ventura, The Daily Caller, and Miss Natalie Denise. This has been episode 81 of the Steak for Breakfast podcast. I'm Roan. Noah? Yo. Have a good weekend. Bye. Antoinette? <laughs> She'll be back on Tuesday. <laughs> and on behalf of our guests, Robbie Starbuck out of Tennessee Five and Elizabeth Jade of Maximum Playboy. This has been the Steak for Breakfast podcast. Thanks for listening and take care. Last week, you called the Biden administration the Brandon administration. Do you feel that that is the proper level of exchange between a governor and a president? Well, uh, let me ask you how he's how he's treated us. I mean, you know, he they take a, you rise above that. Well, they take a lot of pot Well, look, I, I think it's a joke. But honestly, one of the reasons why that is taken on is because a lot of your uh, uh, folks uh, in the national media they get very sensitive to it because what happened was people were chanting something else very colorful. It's a swear about they, the well, well, you had a reporter, though, say that it was Let's Go Brandon when that's not really what was said. And so I think the reason why it's caught on is because I think it needles the national media a little bit because, look, I mean, they've become very partisan. I mean, you know, they were very much against Trump. They're very much ahead of Biden. Um, so, so I think we, we view it as, as fun. But I do think But it's that, a swear but about I do, the president. Well, right. But I mean, here, here's what I would say. Was there hand-wringing about this, about the stuff that was said about Trump for four years? No, there wasn't.